you're listening to Astroscope, astrology podcast by Mark Lerner and Great Bear Enterprises. This podcast is sponsored by Buzzword Consulting and Forfame.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast number 89. It is Sunday, November 21, 2021, and after offering the astrology of a tale of two baseball World Series, we now present the astrology of the Void Moon and you and the inauguration charts for six U.S. presidents, part two. Also, this podcast has a second title, which is the astrology of the Void Moon, part two, an important astro information about right now, November, December, 2021. This new podcast, the sequel to podcast 86 about the void moon, focuses attention on the charts for the USA and President Franklin D. Roosevelt and the inauguration charts for six US presidents, FDR in 1945, JFK in 1961, Richard Nixon in 1973, Bill Clinton in 1997, Barack Obama in 2009, and Joe Biden in 2021. These six horoscopes all occurred during a void moon that was present at their January 20th inaugurations and oaths of office. In addition, the next inauguration chart for a U.S. president on January 20th, 2025 is included. There is also the cover image of our Welcome to Planet Earth Astrology magazine, the Gemini Cancer issue in 1995, with a feature story entitled The Void of Course Moon, Astrologers Sound Off, and which have all been presented in part one. Overall, this is the 89th podcast offered to the public since May of 2019. Now, the reason I have this part uh, two going, the last one uh, about this subject, The Void Moon, we did extensively, and you should listen to podcast 86 for sure, which, went, which was uh, occurring back on September 11th. So it's been over two plus months since that first podcast about the importance of the void moon. Now, you recall, uh, those of you who have our Astrology Cosmic Calendar app, what I've been doing, the Cosmic Calendar that used to be at the center of Welcome to Planet Earth magazine and newspaper when it started in the summer of 1981. It's now an app. It's been an app for the last year or so. And many of you are subscribers to that. And if you are a subscriber to the Astrology Cosmic Calendar with a K app, then you can go into the future. Right now, uh, we have it running approximately four weeks into the future. And that's the advantage of becoming a subscriber. You can learn more about the Astrology Cosmic Calendar and how you can get it for your iPhone or Android phone if you go to our greatbearenterprises.s. Dot, excuse me, dot com. So Great Bear Enterprises with an S dot com. That's our website. You can read more about the Cosmic Calendar. Of course, all our other things, the astrology reports we have available in our astrology shop, the consultations I've been doing for 48 years, um, Global Hotspots, which is complimentary. We just did one a couple of days ago that I'll refer to in a couple of moments, the partial lunar eclipse that just occurred on November 19th. Very important. I'll be mentioning more about that in a moment. Um, Global Hotspots on our website is complimentary, all about new moons, full moons, eclipses that occur every two weeks. New moons, full moons, and eclipses, of course, are much rarer. We also have our Earth Aquarius News Center. That was the name of our old website, but that's where you'll find a lot of articles that I've written over the years, including the most important one that I want to um, emphasize again, 
The Wound That Never Heals, America's Turning Point of the 20th Century, about President Kennedy and his murder, November 22nd, 1963. So we are now at a point where um, we're 58 years. Um, we're approaching two complete Saturn cycles, which will occur more of next year, uh, to when the president was murdered on November 22nd, 1963. Um, I will refer more to that in a few moments, but that article is complimentary. So that's at Great Bear Enterprises. You go to our website, and then at the top of the front page, you'll see different areas about uh, special features. In fact, we have a Black Friday and specials. There's a tab there. So we're doing all kinds of specials in the approach to Thanksgiving and beyond. So um, everything helps here for Astro Educational Services ar around the world. Um, this very podcast center, Mark Learner Astrology Radio, Astroscope. Um, this is now the 89th podcast. I've uh, been doing this now for almost exactly two and a half years. So this is one way we reach the public. Of course, I feel grateful for being on Coast to Coast AM with George Nori. Uh, if you sign up for their uh, special uh, insiders, it's pretty inexpensive. I think it's about $6 a month, and I'm not one of their sponsors for that, but I've been on that show now with George Nori. Uh, since the summer of 2004. So thank you, George Nori, for all the opportunities I've been on there uh, through my producer, Lisa Lyon there, who's got me on the show. Hopefully uh, I'll be on again uh, between now and around the New Year's uh, if they have a slot for me. So um, if you become one of these Coast to Coast AM um, insiders, uh, then you're able to go back about five years and I've been on the show maybe eight or nine times in the last five years. You'd be able to access those uh, two-hour programs we've been on with George. So uh, that's another thing just wanted to mention. But there's a lot of complimentary features on the website, www.greatbearenterprises.com. And what's really important, though, is we are I'm going to be sharing a lot about these presidential inaugurations going into greater depth. There will be a part three, just so you know. This is a vast subject, and the fact that it's taken me two plus months since September 11th to get part two doesn't mean I haven't been doing anything about this. I've been accumulating more and more research about these inaugural charts. So we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But the reason that there's a second title, being the Astrology of the Void Moon Part Two, and important astro information about November, December 2021, is that a whole bunch of other things I could separate all this and make like three or four podcasts but that's why i want i decided it's best for me to just um sort of try and put this all together now let me just mention here that this is sunday uh afternoon and this is pretty unique that i'm doing this because right now the moon is actually void okay and so i want to get into what's the difference between what we might call positive and negative void moons because if you have been following the Astrology Cosmic Calendar, which I've been doing for 40 years, which was at the center of Welcome to Planet Earth magazine, newspaper that did for 20 plus years from 1981 to 2000, and so many of the remarkable astrologers that joined me in that effort. But now the Astrology Cosmic Calendar is 40 years uh, of doing this. And every two to two and a half days, because that's the, the speed of the moon, the moon moves faster than any celestial body. The only other faster body is actually Mercury uh, in terms of its speed, how fast it can go. Uh, Mercury can go a little over two degrees of the zodiac in a day, which is pretty fast relative to the other planets. The sun only moves 
from our Earth's vantage point one degree per day. And uh, Venus usually moves uh, a little less than one degree or a little bit more. And you get other planets moving at slower speeds. But the moon, because it's so close to us, and as many of you may know, and this to me is a very spiritual reality, the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun in terms of size, but it's 400 times closer to us than the sun. And that's why we get total solar eclipses and total lunar eclipses. So I don't know anybody out there who would say, oh, that's just an accident. That is not an accident. And what I want to stress here, and I did a whole podcast about Chiron, and this will come up also in this one. Chiron discovered November 1, 1977, the centaur, named after this famous centaur in Greek mythology, uh, November 1, 1977. So now Chiron is very much incorporated in our ephemerides, the books that have all the planetary positions. If you get any kind of uh, consultation uh, from me, it's going to have Chiron in your birth chart. Okay, it looks like a K with a little circle. So I will always cover that if we have a discussion, if you're curious about Chiron and the four main asteroids, Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta. A lot of astrologers, for some reason, still don't work with them. And as I've shared in these podcasts, one of my great teachers, Eleanor Bach, was the person in 1973 when I got into all of this in New York City. She came out with the first hardcover ephemeris, even though these asteroids, which are named after these major goddesses, were discovered from 1801 to 1807, we didn't have access, at least the public didn't, until Eleanor Bach made this breakthrough, and then she did her Planet Watch newsletter, and so many other things, and I had the privilege of uh, being her student, one of her students, uh, back in New York City, and then she wrote for Welcome to Planet Earth, and so on and so forth. So you'll always get, if, if I do any consultations, we have I have seven different kinds of consultations now. They're in the telephone consultation area in the astrology shop back at Great Bear Enterprises. You'll always get complimentary charts before we even do a, the session together. It will include the four main asteroids. It'll have Chiron. It'll have the sun, the moon, the eight main planets, the nodes. And I also have access to printing out charts with some of these faraway planets. So you can see where Eris is or Sedna, which has an 11,400-year orbit. These have been these are planets in our own solar system. Chaos, which we'll be talking about today, a real planet chaos that has a 309-year cycle. And I've reported before, it's conjunct Neptune in the United States chart at the midhaven of our chart for the Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. This is coming up today because right now the moon is actually making conjunction with chaos at the end of Gemini. And that only happens for about two hours every month. And that's just sort of, I, I won't call it accidental, it's synchronistic that I happen to be doing this. So without further ado, let's get into all of this. What I want to say is right now, late Taurus is rising out here in the Pacific Northwest. And what's really fascinating that I want to bring up here is not only is the moon void, and, and I'll explain the difference between, um, shall we say, in quotes, a good void and a bad void or a negative void. I don't like to use the terms negative or bad. But there is a, a way of determining this. And sometimes in the cosmic calendar, I will give you a hint about it. But because each entry in the cosmic calendar has so much information, we have Chiron, we have the asteroids, I include quintiles, and sometimes even right now septiles, which are 51 degrees um, between planets and the sun and moon and so on. 51 degree septiles are one seventh of the circle. They're considered minor aspects, but in my estimation, they're not minor. And I've always included quintiles, which are 72-degree aspects. 
if you think of the zodiac as a complete circle, which is what it is, and you inscribe a five-pointed star uh, anywhere in the zodiac, then each of those points of the star, uh, based on dividing the 360 degrees of the circle, then each point is separated by 72 degrees. So the 72-degree aspect, a quintile, or it, twice that, the biquintile, these were particularly worked with by Johannes Kepler, the great astronomer, who also did astrology. And uh, from what I know, he was the one who started focusing on using that because he worked a lot with the geometry of the heavens. So we can thank uh, Johannes Kepler very much for bringing the quintiles into play and biquintiles and triquintiles and so on. So these are all based on dividing um, the zodiac into five parts. So five times 72 is 360. For 40 plus years, I've been sharing quintiles. And now often I will add noviles, which are um, 40 degree aspects. Uh, many of you have, you know, have, have heard about that particular uh, alignment of the 40 degree pattern. If you've studied um, the astrology, uh, Vedic astrology, often they work a lot with the 40 degree aspect. And some of these aspects are very important. I'll also get into the quincunx or inconjunct today because it's part of what's called the Pythagorean triangle made up of a square, a trine, and a 150-year pattern, a three, four, five triangle. So we're going to get into a whole lot of things, which is part of this alternate name here about important astro information about November, December 2021. So before we jump in here, this is a little intro, and then there's going to be a little more of an intro before we get into all the void moon. So bear with me on this. But the moon right now is void, and it's been void since this morning. And what happened this morning uh, was that the moon made a trine to Jupiter. Jupiter is in Aquarius. Jupiter, king of the guards, largest planet. Planet traditionally related to providence, benevolence, power of positive thinking, good fortune, so many other things. So we had a trine this morning, and so... I, sometimes in the cosmic calendar, I share this, sometimes I don't. Every two plus days, you will see a reference, though, oh, the moon is going void for so many minutes or so many hours. Sometimes it's even more than a whole day. It just depends on where the planets are and so on. And again, there are a lot of anomalous conditions here. That's why you want to listen again to podcast 86 on the void moon. Because um, what happens with calculating the void moon, for whatever reason, this is the way it is, we're using what's called Ptolemaic, Ptolemaic aspects, which go back 2,000 years to a particular astrologer, Ptolemy. So the aspects that are used to determine the void moon are conjunctions of zero degrees, oppositions of 180 degrees, the trine of 120, sextiles, which are 60 degrees, and the square of 90 degrees. We don't use quintiles of 72 degrees or biquintiles, 144 degrees. We don't use um, the 150 degree aspect often called an inconjunct or quincunx. We don't use a sesquiquadrate, which is a 135 degree aspect, although that's considered a hard or tense aspect. We don't use the 45 degree aspect or the novile or the decile or any or septile. So those are often considered minor aspects. Also, what's not used in figuring out void moons, because this is the tradition that continues, they're not using Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta. And even though those are very important to me and to many astrologers, as well as Chiron, these particular planets, and of course, these outer planets, Chaos, which was discovered back in 1998 on the, the day we just had this partial lunar eclipse, November 19th of 2021. In 1998, that was the day in Arizona that 
uh, chaos was discovered. Uh, unfortunately, that's the name that was given by the astronomer. That's another whole subject. I do think astronomers have too much power in naming these particular uh, planets, many of which are now uh, beyond Pluto in our own solar system. Because when you name one of these planets, you bring up all of this mythology. And even though this has been the tradition, you know, since we had Uranus discovered by Sir William Herschel in 1781, um, that whoever discovers it has the privilege of, of naming that particular body um, with advice and suggestions, you know, from around the world and so on and so forth. But nevertheless, I do believe there's too much power. That particular um, planet that, that was named Chaos could have been named something else. And we know that chaos as a name has a lot to do with confusion, chaotic conditions, things that are nebulous and so on. So um, to me, unfortunately, that name um, is inappropriate uh, because uh, even though it may refer to chaotic situations, suddenly the power, the mythological power and the energy of that name can go way beyond what that particular planetary body actually represents. At any rate, that's just my personal opinion on that, and it's probably not going to go very far, but I just think any newly planets discovered, the naming function needs to be uh, considered a lot more uh, seriously. Uh, I believe there is this main center, it's called the Minor Planet Center in Massachusetts, and there in the astronomy field, the major place where whatever the name suggestion comes in from the astronomer or groups of the astronomers who discover a planetary body it goes through a process and then the name becomes accepted or not rejected whatever and then they figure out what it's called and then the, the rest of the world uh, refers to that particular planet in that way okay so right now what's happening is that we have late taurus in the sky jupiter and saturn in aquarius the two largest planets are directly overhead but the other thing that's amazing is that the sun is in the last degree of Scorpio. And this is what connects up back to President Kennedy, who 24 hours from now on November 22nd, 2021, it will be 58 years, which is almost two Saturn cycles um, since he was murdered in Dallas. And it will really be next year in 2022, um, all during the year, Saturn will actually come back to where it was when President Kennedy was murdered in Dallas. And um, that, that particular energy field will be very active throughout next year, which itself is a troubling year for many reasons, which I've already started talking about because Pluto is coming back in the U.S. birth chart at 27 plus degrees of Capricorn in our second house of economics and financial resources and so on. And we already know from this year with inflationary fears and so many people losing their jobs and having problems paying rent and losing homes and income stratification with COVID and so many other things that are going on. So uh, Pluto is going to come back next year. And I've already started talking about, we'll talk about it a lot more. It's going to start in February as an exact cycle and repeat two more times. So during this year, which has never happened before in American history, from the July 4th, 1776 birth chart, Pluto coming back. And as I've shared before, we're in this wave of Neptune in Pisces going opposite its position from the U.S. birth chart in Virgo. That's been happening this whole year. It's already happened twice. The last one will happen in March of next year. And then in, right before that in February is when Pluto starts coming back. So the Neptune opposite its own position wave, which has been creating its own form of chaos and confusion and nebulosity in a country, that last happened in the late 1850s. And we know in the late 1850s, 
when we had Lincoln-Douglas debates and so many other things, bleeding Kansas, uh, the lead up into the actual American Civil War from 1861 to 1865. And now, of course, we are feeling from the Trump-Pence years f over the last four years and now with this new administration of Biden and Harris, this unbelievable split in our country. And that's why I wanted to get into some of the things that just happened, the Kyle Rittenhouse uh, uh, innocent or not guilty verdicts in Kenosha, Wisconsin that took place under the umbrella of the partial lunar eclipse that just happened uh, early on Friday, on November 19th, just two days ago, and then later that day, uh, during the noon hour, I believe, in Kenosha, um, he was uh, declared innocent of all charges or not guilty. And now there's the Ahmed Arbery trial that's winding down of three men who killed uh, a young uh, black individual who they saw running away. That trial has been now put on TV and, a, and an answer may come there. We don't know if any of those individuals will be declared guilty of that crime or not. But we just had this whole issue of this young 17-year-old who actually came from Illinois, went to Wisconsin. Um, this had to do with uh, demonstrations for uh, this black individual, Jacob Black, who had been killed um, during one of the riots last in August of last year. And this young individual took, um, an, uh, I guess it's an AK-47, an advanced weapon from Illinois. He's only 17 years old. He wound up shooting three people, killing two of them. And now he's been um, declared not guilty based on self-defense issues. And from what I heard, some of the people who defended him were part of the OJ trial. And this has vast repercussions around the country for people who want to take the law into their own hands, use weapons, and then declare, oh, I was just only defending myself. So uh, this is part of what just occurred here. So I will I will talk about a couple of these other things here because of the, the power of this um, partial lunar eclipse. By the way, this whole discovery of chaos, this actual real planet, um, which was discovered back in 1998 on November 19th, and which just had its, shall we say, return, its solar return and its reignition with this partial lunar eclipse that just happened, which then brought the Kyle Rittenhouse um, not guilty verdict. So that's all part of this cosmic energy field. They're not really separate. So when we think of a planet named chaos being discovered in 1998, the fact that Joe Biden, President Biden, which we'll get to, uh, became president during a void moon. And I'll get into all that because it's a very, very challenging void moon from January 20th of 2021. So we're going to get into all that. And we just had the same day, Vice President Harris, this was announced later on Friday, just two days ago, for 85 minutes became president. Why? Because Joe Biden went into Walter Reed Hospital where he had a colonoscopy. And apparently this also happened when Trump was president, but he wouldn't want, he didn't want Pence to take over he, for whatever reason. So it was all hidden. But in this case, Joe Biden uh, basically indicated to Vice President Harris and signed papers that went over to the House of Representatives making um, Vice President Harris, literally president of the United States for 85 minutes. It started at 1010 in the morning, Eastern time uh, on Friday and lasted for 85 minutes. And then the press secretary, Gene Pisaki, uh, announced this uh, that afternoon because I think it was, it was told to the public that the president was going to Walter Reed Hospital. They just weren't told in advance that he would have anesthesia and that 
uh, Kamala Harris would become president. So to me, this is very, very important. Uh, we, we, regardless of your feelings, whether you like Kamala Harris or not, she is vice president of the United States. And as I keep thinking, as, as I will explain more of with the void, of course, moon from January 20th of this year, when she and Joe Biden took their oaths. So when I'll explain more about how the, the, these void moon energies interfere with or interrupt the vital functions of running the country and the oaths of office and what takes place by these presidents and their vice presidents and how the country unfolds for that four-year cycle. I think it's very important because I keep thinking, regardless of one's opinions about Kamala Harris politically or on any level, she is one heartbeat away, so to speak. And we have had a number of presidents one way or another, not just since Franklin Roosevelt, January 20th, 1945, when he took um, the last oath he did, and then d died on April 12th of 1945. Um, I will be focused on those void moons. What I have not investigated exclusively are the void moon potentials that happen on the traditional date, which was March 4th, um, when, when presidents would take the oath. So this started not the first time the oath was taken. That was April 30th of 1789. I reported that the last time when we did the first podcast on this. George Washington took the first oath as president on April 30th of 1789 in New York. Uh, Washington, D.C. wasn't created yet. Washington, D.C. was named after him. So, uh, the, But the second time he took the oath, which was in 1993, because of when the government began for the United States, which had a traditional starting point of March 4th of 1789, uh, then uh, George Washington took his second oath on March 4th of 1793, and that became the traditional date, March 4th, every four years. That was then changed in the um, during the time period that Franklin Roosevelt took his first oath on March 4th, of 1933 after defeating Herbert Hoover in November of 1932. And we know that Herbert Hoover, the Republican, became president March 4th of 1929. And then we had the stock market crash over two uh, very difficult days, October 24th, 1929, and then October 29th, 1929. And unfortunately, I've studied a lot of these financial panics and so on. We've just had a lot of people every October of every year, we get so many different people talking about a crash that's happening and, you know, or could happen. We haven't had that. We have all these cryptocurrency issues. We have the Fed issues. Um, we have what's happening with uh, digital dollars and yuan dollar coming out from China and countries like Ecuador and others that are uh, coming out and connecting up with um, cryptocurrencies and things like that. So we've got a lot of talk about chaos, chaos with money issues, cryptocurrencies, um, the the U.S. dollar is still the reserve dollar since 1944, the Bretton Woods Conference. So there's enormous issues about uh, cryptocurrencies, um, the dollar, inflation, the Federal Reserve, Janet Yeltsin and the U.S. Treasury, uh, gold, silver, commodities, all kinds of things. And I have done a number of podcasts on that, as well as on Elon Musk and Tesla and so on. You can go back and listen to many of those. Okay. So I know we're really in sort of strange territory here before we get into all of these charts, which I will do in a moment. What I did want to say, though, is that we can, when planets move, Mercury, Venus, Mars, when any planet moves out of a sign and goes into another sign, see, that's the same phenomenon of the void moon. 
The void moon, the reason that this has taken hold in astrology for so many centuries is the moon is the fastest moving body and it goes void every two to two and a half days. So it happens frequently. That's the reason why you don't necessarily hear astrologers talking about, say, a void sun or a void Venus or a void Mercury or a void Mars. That only happens um, infrequently. So to, to give you an example, um, when President Kennedy was murdered, the sun was at 29 and three quarters degrees of Scorpio. So what happened was fundamentally only a few hours later, the sun entered Sagittarius. That's exactly what's happening now as I'm doing this, okay? At 7.35 uh, this evening, Pacific time, the sun will leave Scorpio where it's been for 30 days and go into Sagittarius. That's actually happening right now while I'm talking. Um, what's gonna happen is, uh, I think that's the right time. It actually, um, let me go back here for a second. The sun actually to be at uh, 6.35 p.m., is when the sun will enter uh, Sagittarius. So let me correct myself. At 7.35 is when the moon will leave Gemini and go into Cancer. So we've got a very unusual situation. As I'm sharing this, the sun and moon are in a 150 degree pattern. That was one of the patterns that happened on the day President Kennedy was murdered. There was a three, four, five triangle. It was composed of Mercury and Sagittarius, Jupiter and Aries, and Uranus and Virgo. They were exactly each one at nine plus degrees of their signs. And what happened was is that you, you had a situation where uh, there was a trine between Mercury and Jupiter. So Mercury at nine plus of Sagittarius and Jupiter at nine plus of Aries were making a trine of 120 degrees. However, uh, Uranus at nine plus a Virgo was squaring Mercury at nine plus a Sagittarius. That was the square of 90 degrees. And Jupiter at nine plus of Aries and Uranus at nine plus a Virgo were 150 degrees apart. They made a perfect three, four, five triangle. Now, you might say, well, Mark, what does it mean? That's a mystery that we still don't know uh, what happened with President Kennedy. So much of that has been blocked out. So while I wrote, and I do believe that Lee Harvey Oswald was definitely involved with it as a 24-year-old Marine, he was only 24 years old, um, because his chart is very connected to President Kennedy's birth chart and the time of the murder and so on. So you can read more about that in Earth Aquarius News, The Wound That Never Heals, America's Turning Point in the 20th Century. And there are charts in there and everything else. That was a cover story but it was the first thing I ever did publicly at an NCR, NCGR conference in New York, the National Council of Geocosmic Research, hosted by Neil Mickelson, who passed away many years ago. And Neil Mickelson is where we get now, particularly our 100-year ephemerides, uh, the, the, the ephemeride for the 21st century, the American ephemeris, 100 years from 2001 um, to, to 2100. So uh, an enormous period of time. And then there was one for the 20th century as well. So uh, my first public talk was about John F. Kennedy and the murder in Dallas. And so that started me off. So it's been a topic that and particularly the astrology of atomic and nuclear energy are the two main topics in this field of mundane or earth astrology beyond the personal astrology that I do. So we have an unusual situation now. I mean, very unusual. The moon went void this morning. Uh, the moon trine Jupiter at 7.53 Pacific time. So this is what I consider a positive or an open-ended void. And void moons, even though it sounds negative, are not necessarily bad. There's a lot of good things that you can do during a void moon. I discussed that 
uh, from from the astrologer sound off from the magazine from Gemini Cancer 1995, where a bunch of astrologers and welcome planet Earth, including myself, and the great Al Morrison has passed away, who focused a lot on this. You can listen to everybody what I, what I shared there, which was in our magazine, a number of astrologers. So there are a lot of things that apparently one should not do during a void moon, but there are also a lot of things that you can accomplish during a void moon. And particularly because the minor aspects, septiles, noviles, quintiles, are not used. And we don't use Ceres, Pals, Athena, Juno, or Vesta. We don't use Chiron. We don't use Sedna. We don't use Eris. There's all these planets that we don't use. So oh, those alignments can still be happening during a void moon, during the traditional, what we define as a void moon. So that's why uh, and again, why do we even have it in the cosmic calendar? I, I explained that the last time. If I didn't include it, right, I had to make a decision in 1981 about including it or not. I had the same question mark. Well, I was already into Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta. Chiron had been discovered in 1977. Now, we hadn't discovered a lot of these outer planets. Uh, Chaos, the real planet Chaos, wasn't discovered till 1998. Sedna wasn't discovered till November of 2003. Eris, which has about a 565-year cycle, which is now included in uh, the 21st century ephemeris for 100 years. It's actually included. Eris is, is in there. has about a 565-year cycle. The reason that Sedna, which was discovered earlier, is not considered as powerful, it doesn't have a moon. Whereas when Eris was discovered in January 2005, the astronomers found a moon, so it became more of like a fascinating kind of thing. Also, Sedna has an 11,400-year orbit. I think Sedna is an amazing planet. Its mythology is incredible, and I'm very much into and aware of its archetypes and themes. So if you're into Sedna, we don't have any reports on it, but, but I can share a whole lot. If you're interested in Sedna and you order a consultation, you're interested in Eris, you, you want to have a consultation because you know where it is. You want to know, find out more about Eris, Sedna, Chaos. There are other out of these planets, Varuna, Ixion, Radamathus, uh, Maki Maki, Haumea. Th these names I'm talking about, they're very, very powerful planets that have been discovered in our own solar system, most of which are beyond Pluto. A couple of them are uh, uh, have less orbits than Pluto, but most of them are beyond the 246 to 247 year cycle of Pluto. They're very important, but they're slow moving. So they don't always relate to personal things in your birth chart. So one of the things to always remember in your birth chart, the traditional planets or the sun and moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, those were the known planets before the discovery of Uranus. They function differently in terms of what you can control or not control in your life. The whole issue of fate and free will. The point is your sun sign, your moon sign, of course, your rising sign, the, the rising sign on the horizon, which changes about every two hours or so. It's not always two hours. It depends on how far north or south you are from the equator and how fast uh, that the rising sign is moving. But in terms of Mercury representing the mind and thinking, Venus more of love and heart and emotion, and then you get Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn, we can control those particular archetypes more effectively for the most part than say Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Chiron, or Chaos, Sedna, and so on, because they're slower moving and they're further away. They're still in our charts. And in some cases, some people, because they have Sun conjunct Uranus or Sun trine Neptune or Moon trine Pluto or square Pluto or sextile, whatever it is, we can utilize these archetypal 
slower moving planetary energies, but it all depends on how your chart is established, what the aspects are, what houses everything is in, and so on. Okay, so the unique situation now, there's three things as I'm doing this, and then we'll jump in uh, to the to the work at hand here, both, both these uh, inauguration void moons and some more. So right now, moon is void. It started with what I would consider a favorable alignment, a trine to Jupiter. Okay, so when you get into the cosmic calendar again after listening to all this, be aware from one day to the, to the next when I'm sharing about void moons. Sometimes I will say it started during a square the moon squaring Pluto or the moon trying Jupiter. I don't always talk about the aspect. Sometimes I'll just mention the moon goes void for so many minutes or hours and then enters the new sign. But the important thing is you need to know there are many nuances to a void moon. Okay. So again, today what will happen is the moon will leave Gemini, go into Cancer at 7.34 p.m. But meanwhile, oddly enough, the sun is void okay, today, because the sun is in the last degree of Scorpio and the sun will enter Sagittarius at 6.35 p.m. These are Pacific times. You have an odd situation where the moon and the sun are in an inconjunct of 150 degrees, which is the f basically five signs apart, which is part of this 345 triangle that I said was exact when President Kennedy was murdered 58 years ago tomorrow. And the moon is conjuncting chaos. Because chaos, the planet that was discovered back in 1998 on November 19th, which we just had the anniversary for, chaos, which was discovered in the sign of Taurus and moves very slowly, it is currently in the last degree of Gemini, and the moon is now conjuncting that position as I do this. So part of the thing is I'm trying to illuminate issues about chaos, about the real planet chaos, and the chaos all around us, as we're in, for America, Neptune opposing our Neptune, which last happened in the late 1850s. We're on the verge of having Pluto come back next year three times, which has never happened. These two waves are going to sort of overlap in February and March of next year. And there's many other things, which we'll, I will get to shortly here, about things that are going to happen. For instance, I've already reported this. We're going to have, uh, well, let me put it this way. We just had at the partial lunar eclipse. And you can read about that in Global Hotspots. So it's it's about the partial lunar eclipse, Scorpio and Taurus. I just created that last week and we posted it, I think it was November 18th, okay, November 17th or 18th, just before this partial lunar eclipse that has just occurred, right, during this Kyle Rittenhurst uh, verdict and with Kamala Harris becoming president uh, because of a medical reason for Joe Biden for 85 minutes. Those are substantial and very influential. We don't know what, you know, we could say, well, what difference does it make that Kamala Harris was president during a medical uh, thing? Biden is back. He's doing whatever he's doing. But she did literally become president. There's a chart for it. I did do the chart. And Venus was rising, which is very interesting, within two degrees. And since Venus represents women and feminine energies, I think that was significant by itself. I didn't study the whole chart yet. But of course, if other things do unfold in the next several months and so on that have to do with Biden's health or if she, something happens and then she becomes president, uh, nobody wants to wish that, at least I don't, on our current president. There are some people who don't think he's a valid president on the extreme uh, Republican side or based on what they've studied or learned. I don't agree with that at all. And many Republicans like Liz Cheney and many others, you know, 
particularly recently, Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey, just came out with the book, and he was actually involved with helping to elect um, President Trump. And now he's distancing himself from many things that happen. There are other Republicans are also doing that as well. We'll see where that goes and whether that takes hold or not, because the Republican Party at this point is still very beholden and connected to uh, Donald Trump. But that may not be the case over the next uh, several months. Uh, and again, it, it may very well be that he runs again. Uh, nobody knows for sure what the future will bring on that score. So what I wanted to men mention was at the partial lunar eclipse, the moon in Taurus was close to a, a famous or infamous star called Algol uh, in the constellation of Perseus. It's an eclipsing binary star. We've known a lot about it for a couple hundred years, actually, even without advanced telescopes. Um, this was a noticeable uh, changing of light in that particular constellation. Turns out there are two stars and they eclipse each other. And Algol, which often is named for the ghoul or, or ghoulish energies, has a very uh, dangerous sort of energy field um, in the history of looking at charts using fixed stars and so on. So the moon, which was in Taurus near the Pleiades constellation, was also making conjunction at this partial lunar eclipse with the star Algol. At the same time, Sedna, which moves so slowly, having an 11,400 year orbit, is in late Taurus. So the double or triple whammy, shall we say, of this partial lunar eclipse was it was also the sole return for Joe Biden. Kamala Harris took the reins of president for a medical reason for 85 minutes. The Kyle Rittenhouse verdict of not guilty came in just a few hours later in, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Has all these ripples about self-defense and, and using weapons for self-defense and causing all kinds of chaos, literally, figuratively, on different levels. And now we see that what well, I do want to mention one other thing about the sun being void, because this is a very unusual factor here. Um, what was going on um, when the president was murdered in Dallas was that the sun was at 29 plus a Scorpio. This is going to come up when we see Barack Obama's first inauguration, where the moon was at 29 plus exactly on the sun of JFK's um, assassination. When JFK was assassinated, the moon was in Aquarius and had just risen on the horizon in Dallas at 12.29 p.m. when the shots came out from the book depository and or wherever else it came out of on that day. So the moon and Saturn had just risen in Aquarius. Um, and I'm an Aquarius rising myself. In fact, this is part of the connection to that day, to the president's birth chart and and to the unfolding events, I was 13 and a half years old. And that's part of the connection, how my chart was connected to that event and to President Kennedy and his administration. And as I will share more today, that was a, a void moon when he was inaugurated, as well as Mer Mars being retrograde, which is another factor that happened at that particular point. So uh, at any rate, I'm just um, shifting gears here uh, for a moment. So. We've got a whole situation with where I just want you to understand that there is so much going on that has to do with all these astrological energy fields. So Ceres and Sedna are in a configuration which will happen in January with the transiting node, one of the fate destiny points, very, very powerful and important in the sky. 
So we've got a situation where that's going to happen in January a couple of times. I'll report more about it. I've already shared a little bit about it in one of the podcasts. So we're going to have the largest asteroid series, uh, which, which currently is in Gemini, will be retrograding back into late Taurus and hook up with Sedna in a conjunction. And the, the orbit of the moon will be there. This will happen over a series of dates in January. The, the year that Pluto comes back, three times in the United States. In January, we're gonna have all these powerful events with Ceres, Sedna, and the orbit of the moon. By the way, I also found out, that's why this is extra astrology information. I will do a whole podcast about the first week of March. Turns out that in March of 2022, this is about two weeks after Pluto makes its return um, to the US birth chart, we're gonna have an unusual situation where Venus and Pluto are gonna to come together. What's going on is actually Venus and Pluto will make a conjunction in Capricorn on December 11th of this year. And then two weeks later at Christmas, because Venus is gonna go retrograde on December 19th. This is one of the reasons I wanted to share this extra information. For all women who are listening to this, men concerned about women and everyone who's involved with creative artistry and all your primary partnerships, and money matters as well. Venus has so many different influences. Venus and Capricorn, the third and final earth sign, is slowing down, even as I'm sharing now. So it's going to keep slowing down and make a station on December 19th, the same day that Chiron is going to stop going retrograde in Aries, and it will go direct. So December 19th, which occurs right after um, a full moon uh, in December, where the sun is in Sagittarius and the moon is in Gemini, um, Venus will then go retrograde for six weeks. But what's going to happen is Venus will then come out of retrograde and then it will start going direct. And what's going to happen is that the third Venus-Pluto conjunction, the first one is December 11th of this year, then Christmas we get uh, Venus conjunct Pluto, and then we're going to get on March 3rd, Venus will conjunct Pluto. But guess what? Mars is going to be there too. So Mars, Venus, and Pluto are all in a triple conjunction in late Capricorn on March 3rd, then both Venus and Mars will go into Aquarius March 5th, and then they'll make a conjunction at zero plus of Aquarius. And why is that important? That was where Jupiter and Saturn made their first conjunction in Aquarius in 600 years since the 1400s. And it was back in the 13 and 1400s when Jupiter and Saturn were last moving through the three air signs of Aquarius, Gemini, and Libra. That happened from like 1226 AD to around 1405. So we had uh, 180 years, for, for the most part, of Jupiter and Saturn every 20 years going into air signs. And air, particularly Aquarius, represents universal air. So Jupiter and Saturn make their conjunction last December at the winter solstice in the Northern Hemisphere. Meanwhile, the pandemic that had come out of Wuhan in late 2019, early 2020, and affecting all of 2020, Jupiter and Saturn, uh, Saturn was in Capricorn, Jupiter was shifting from Sagittarius to Capricorn, they were moving through Capricorn in 2020, and just by a weird sort of series of circumstances, they both leapt over the, the area from 30 degrees of Capricorn to the very beginning of Aquarius when they made their conjunction, Jupiter and Saturn, to start off this 20-year cycle of Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions on December 20th or 21st of, of 2020 at the winter solstice. And so many people, including in the astronomy field, was like, wow, kumbaya, age of brotherhood and sisterhood, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, the fifth dimension song, all of this is like, wow, things are amazing. Well, meanwhile, the pandemic was coming out. And so I did 13, you can go back, 13 podcasts on coronavirus and astrology. And 
look, we know it was just reported by the World Health Organization that more people have died in this year, 2021, from the pandemic worldwide. It's over 5 million people that we know of. More people have died in 2021. We've got the Delta variant and so on. A lot of people in the United States, I'm watching uh, baseball games, football games, sports events. You know, people want retired of this whole thing. And yet we still have doctors and everybody saying, hey, we're, we're entering another dangerous time. We're going indoors. It's not outdoors. It's going to get cold. People are going to be gathering together. There's, here's what you need to do. We've got a Delta variant. We've got a variant even more transmissible, transmissible than the Delta one affecting places in Europe now. So it isn't completely controlled. And we have all kinds of rivalries still happening politically and medically and socially about what's real, what isn't real, what are the facts, what are not the facts. America is still incredibly divided. Meanwhile, they're talking about boosters and getting a booster for anybody who's 50 or older or 60 or older and now could be any adult. And an enormous part of the world has not even been vaccinated. And they don't have the same health facilities and hospitals and pharmacies and so on. So there's a lot of um, what this is part of what I feel is this Neptune opposing our own Neptune for the United States and on the verge of Pluto coming back. Plus, this energy that I'm talking about with chaos, where the moon right now is with chaos, as I'm sharing with this, the moon is void, and yet it's a positive void. The sun is void. In fact, when the sun and the moon came into their full moon, that was the last time, that was when the sun actually went void. So that was at 12.59 in the morning, two plus days ago. Okay, the sun actually has been void for the last couple of days. But since we don't talk about void suns, we don't talk about void Mercury's or Venus, it only happens infrequently where the moon, that's why I use it in the cosmic calendar because it's been part of astrology for hundreds of years because of the moon's speed and the traditions involved, even though it's kind of anomalous and we don't use all the aspects and we don't use all the planets to calculate the void moon. So that's why we're getting a part two here and then eventually part three. So part of this extra information was the series and the Sedna and the node, the orbit of the moon, they're all going to be hooked up in January. So that's a big thing. Now I've shared that Venus is going to go retrograde. It's slowing down. Same day uh, on December 19th, when Chiron is going to stop its retrograde motion in Aries, it's going to go direct for several months, but Venus will officially stop in Capricorn. This is going to be in the sort of umbrella of the Saturday, December 18th full moon of the sun in late Sagittarius and the moon in late Gemini. Uh, by the way, this connects back up to the birth of Steven Spielberg, who was born at this point with the sun at the galactic center in late Sagittarius. The reason I, this is going to be really brief, but at another point I will get into it. It turns out uh, I was looking for something to watch on TV. I'm often a night owl. And what happened was, is I was able to watch uh, this is kind of a long story, so I don't want to make it too confusing for all of you. But what happened was, is back when I was 27 plus years old, having been to Findhorn, and I was going to go back there again in that community. I've, I've shared before about Lucis Trust, where I work near the United Nations, the Tibetan Master DK, the Alice Bailey teachings, lucistrust.org, which you can go to for all these this incredible wisdom about metaphysics and the seven rays and the Great Bear, the Seven Stars, and things like that, and Esoteric Astrology, and all these other books and teachings. Well, it turned out that um, before that, well, after I was at Lucis Trust and worked there in what's called the Beacon Magazine, then I went to Findhorn in 1976, but I came home briefly 
um, for a couple of months. And I wound up coming home in the fall of 1977. And Star Wars had just come out as a movie. You can see my podcast about George Lucas and Star Wars. So please do see that because I've studied astrology connected to the UFOs, to uh, the Kenneth Arnold sighting, of the, uh, which is how we get the idea of the UFOs on June 24th of 1947, and then the Roswell event in early July of 1947. Chiron is very connected to that time of 1947 because there's a chart that I put out for the Kenneth Arnold sighting of the nine UFOs near Mount Rainier. And Chiron um, at that particular point was exactly rising, but we didn't know that Chiron even existed. And Chiron does have a 50-year cycle and was discovered in November 1, 1977. Well, at any rate, I wound up taking a whole bunch of Fintorn people over to, in Manhattan, in uh, November of 1977, because Close Encounters of Third Kind by Steven Spielberg had come out. And as many of you know, Spielberg and uh, Lucas were best best buddies. And the Star Wars, when it came out in Memorial Day holiday in May of 1977, again, this is the year that Chiron was discovered with those double seven vibrations. Um, it turned out that um, they were in Hawaii and, and Star Wars came out. And that weekend that it came out, I think it was a $1 million plus uh, uh, gross. And that in those days, believe it or not, 44 years ago, that was considered like miraculous, that it was a success. And of course, we know that Star Wars and one went on to nine different Star Wars over the last 40 plus years. You know, Lucas eventually sold some of this to Disney and made several billions of dollars. And by the way, it turns out George Lucas, aside from, I think it's Apple, um, owns more, excuse me, uh, aside from Disney, is the second largest holder of Apple stock um, than anybody else uh, due to this deal that was made with Disney and so on, because Disney is also part of, uh, when I said, uh, I mean, ABC, TV, Disney, uh, Apple, there, there's so many different connections um, among all of these energy fields. So at any rate, um, Spielberg, who was a little younger than Lucas, Lucas was born 1944 in May with the sun in Taurus and moon in Aquarius. And Spielberg was born with the sun at the galactic center in Sagittarius. Um, and uh, in his particular chart, what we find is um, an extraordinary thing. Steven Spielberg is born with Mercury at seven plus the Sagittarius, which is the United States rising degree from our Declaration of Independence, July 4th, 1776. But when Close Encounters came out in New York in mid-November of 1977, um, 44 years ago, Mercury was returning in his own chart to seven plus of Sagittarius and Close Encounters went on to win. I mean, it was just like an incredible movie to me with music and sound. And uh, this is several years before he created E.T., uh, Steven Spielberg. That didn't happen until 1982. Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, which was a blend between Lucas and Spielberg, that didn't start until 1981. So 1977, Close Encounters of the Third Kind with Richard Dreyfuss in there and uh, Francois Truffaut, the great French director. Um, I was watching it the other night. This is right after the partial lunar eclipse. And the, I just wanted to bring this up because it was a, it got me back into my understanding of this is how my own business, Great Bear Enterprises, the seven stars of the Great Bear. So, for instance, if you're going to download, if you haven't already done that, the uh, Astrology Cosmic Calendar with a K app, Astrology Cosmic Calendar, 
you will see it in uh, where, you, where you get your apps in the iPhone store, Android store, this, the symbol of the bear, the full moon, and the seven stars of the great bear. It turned out that in that movie, near the end, when Richard Dreyfus is going to go, when he's at Devil's Tower, and going to find all these things about the mothership and UFOs and all these incredible things that are going on that were in that movie, as he, he looks up in the heavens and he sees these spaceships, they form the, the seven stars of the Big Dipper, and he laughs. And so I was able to watch that again. And this, again, I brought all these people, friend, very important friends of mine from who were coming back to the United States from Pintorn when I was 27 plus years old. I was actually experiencing that year a progressed lunar return. As I've shared with many of you before, uh, progressions are extremely important. A lot of astrologers just get into transits uh, for when they do readings for people, and they don't often do what are called secondary progressions or solar arc progressions. There are different progress systems where progressions go back to your birth year, where so many days after your birth is equal to so many years of living, particularly in the main system I use, which is secondary progressions. At any rate, um, so um, these podcasts, I, I started seven, the first 17 of them in May, June, July of, of, of 2019, are all based on the progressed U.S. sun in the middle of Pisces, even though our, our natal sun for our country is in the sign Cancer, but our progressed sun is in, in Pisces, and Pallas Athena, which um, when the country was born in July 4th, 1776, was conjunct the moon as well as this outer planet Quaor. So we have a moon, Pallas Athena, Quaor, a triple conjunction, a 26 plus of Aquarius. But when, uh, when I started doing the podcast, the sun and Pallas Athena were in a progressed conjunction, along with Sedna in the middle of Pisces. You go back, if you've never gone back there, the first 17 podcasts, that's what I was getting into, the progressions of the United States birth chart and the power of Pallas Athena. So now you know a little bit more. The other night I got back into watching this movie that changed my life, seeing Close Encounters, Richard Dreyfuss' character winds up going to the mothership. I hope that doesn't spoil you and the great adventure of his psychic sensitivity there that is shown in the movie. It's a great romantic comedy as well and brings up so much about music and sound and sort of how we would connect up with UFOs, uh, music and sound having a universal language, particularly music and color as well. And that's why the movie affected me so strongly. But the other thing that happened was is that it led me, when I got back to Fintorn, I found a book at the Fintorn Library called The Ancient Wisdom, a, a quest for the source of mystic knowledge by Jeffrey Ash, who was also involved very much with everything about King Arthur and so on. And finding this book, and I have a hardcover version of it now, got into the whole archetype of the great bear and the bear totem in the Northern Hemisphere, the fact that the great bear and the Big Dipper, the seven stars, are what we call a circumpolar constellation. So the reason why so many cultures are connected to the bear and grizzly bears and polar bears and all different kinds of bears has a lot to do with the fact that the ancient times, bear consciousness or connection with bear was connected to the heavens and somehow or another, that constellation, there's the great bear and there's the little bear. In fact, Polaris, the North Star, is connected to the constellation of the little bear. So both the little bear and the great bear have a lot to do with the idea of Shambhala, with uh, Sanat Kumara, the, the being that is said through uh, Lucis Trust and Lucis Publishing, and where I worked uh, there before going to Fintorn with the idea of this connects back to Santa Claus. We're about to have uh, our annual Christmas uh, 
time period in the northern hemisphere this is when the sun uh in its arc is at its low point and in a sense this is why we have um the celebration of Jesus as a Christ figure, the Messiah coming in, which is really the rebirth of the sun um, at its lowest point, beginning to come back up and get stronger until it reaches the summer solstice six months later when the sun becomes all-powerful in the northern hemisphere and we have our warm summertime. So now we're heading into our winter time. So before the time of Jesus, so we go back before 2000 years, we go back to ancient cultures, the idea of it was, it was called the solar hero this idea of like uh, an archetype that represented was a metaphor for the power of the sun waning from the summer into the winter and then being reborn in the December time. So 2000 years ago, we get the storyline of Jesus becoming the Messiah, the Christ figure and so on. So I'm very connected to all of that. I mean, in terms of my studies esoterically, I was born Jewish, but studied so much about uh, Catholicism and uh, Protestantism and Islam and uh, Buddhism and Taoism and many world religions and many philosophies. I just feel very grateful for being able to study all of these things and not really be limited to one area of religion or philosophy. Okay, so I've pretty much done this extra um, information. I could go on about this, but I've already shared for probably 45 minutes, maybe even an hour. And now I want to get into, uh, yeah, it's almost exactly an hour of this kind of appetizer and introduction to where we're going here. So thank you very much for listening to this part of it. And again, if you can, please do um, read uh, in the Earth Aquarius News section, The Wound That Never Heals, America's Turning Point of the 20th Century about President Kennedy. Uh, a book just came out, which I got, which I'll be reading. It's called JFK and the Aftermath of the Cuban Missile Crisis. The actual title is The 14th Day by David Coleman, um, based on the secret White House tapes. This is all about what happened after, this is the Cuban Missile Crisis, which occurred in October of 1962, uh, 13 months before the president was assassinated. That's when he and Robert Kennedy, basically over 13 days, saved us from starting a nuclear war with the Soviet Union because of missiles being in Cuba. So at some point, I'll get into the astrology of all that. But I, what I want to do here was share all of these other, what I call astro-important topics before we get back into part two here. So uh, now that I've covered all that, um, what I want to do is get into these charts. Okay, so a couple of things that are important to know. I think I reported this the other time. I don't remember exactly, but I've actually looked ahead, you know, for the question of like, okay, Mark, have you looked ahead to when there's going to be other void moons uh, for U.S. presidents? And so what we have is, I think I reported this, but January 20th, of, of 2045, okay, so we're in 2021, so that's, uh, what, 24 years from this past January 20th of 2021, there'll be another void moon for, assuming the country is still together, you know, and I hope it will be, that will be a void moon. And then 12 years after that, on January 20th of 2057, there'll be another void moon for that, who was president at that point. And then the next one I found was January 20th, of 2073. And I have notes about, I'm not going to get into that now. I may have reported before, but those are the next three times. So after 2000 this year, we don't have a void moon on a January 20th for 24 years until 2045. So at least that creates a certain kind of hopeful energy field, I suppose. You could look at it that way. 
So uh, I'm going to talk toward the end. I hope I will remember this. I can't guarantee I will. But I've also added the January 20th, 2025 chart, okay, when there will not be a void moon, um, thankfully, um, but we are going to have uh, Mars retrograde, okay, going on. And the previous Mars retrogrades uh, during this time period since Roosevelt, uh, we're going to go through the Roosevelt um, void moon, January 20th, 1945. Then we'll do President Kennedy, Richard Nixon, uh, Bill Clinton, Bar Barack Obama, and uh, Joe Biden. So we're doing six presidential charts since um, inaugurations shifted from March 4th to January 20th. But it turns out that in 1961, when we get to that chart, um, and President Kennedy had a void moon, Mars was retrograde. And as one of my main teachers, Dane Rudyard, uh, pointed out, um, there's a 32-year cycle of Venus-Mars energies. Every 32 years, Venus and Mars basically return to the positions they had 32 years before. And in this particular situation, uh, with Mars retrograde on January 20th of 61, 32 years later, when Bill Clinton took his first oath, there was no void moon then. His void moon didn't happen until the second term, okay, in 1997. But on January 20th of 1993, 32 years after JFK was inaugurated under a void moon and a Mars retrograde, there was another Mars retrograde. And that Mars retrograde, which I will get into, was extremely significant because it was at 13 plus degrees of Cancer, which is where the star Sirius is, but it's also the sun degree for the United States birth chart. So when we get to Bill Clinton in a moment and that chart, it's also important to note with these, these presidents, not just when they had the void moon, but when did they become president if in the previous term and what was happening then, if the void moon happened in the second term. With JFK, he wasn't even president for a full term. With Bill Clinton, he was president January 20th of 1993, when Mars was retrograde in the U.S. sun. When it was re-inaugurated January 20th of 1997, that's when the void of course moon happened. We got Monica Lewinsky in the next couple of years and so on. The, the scandal there. The president who's going to take over on January 20th of 2025, this is why this is important in case I don't get into the chart fully at the very end. It's going to repeat the Mars retrograde cycle that first started on January 20th of 61 under JFK and January 20th of 1993, the second term of Bill Clinton. So 1993 to 2025 is another 32 year Mars cycle and Mars will be retrograde on the United States Mercury. Okay, at that point, uh, next uh, three plus, what is it? Three plus years from now, almost, almost, uh, exactly three years will be January 20th of 2022. So next January, it'll be three years into the future, whoever becomes president or elected president in November of 2024, which itself is a very intense year. I'll get into more of that. So also, just so you know, because 32 years after 2025, when the next president comes in, 32 years later is one of those void moons, okay, 2057, okay, and Mars will also be retrograde then. So um, 2045, there'll be, on January 20th, there'll be a, um, a void moon, 2020 of 2057, there'll be a void moon and a Mars retrograde. Now, Mar I have shared, I have this podcast, The Truth About Mercury Retrograde, uh, podcast 25, and I am not 
I don't want to go over this again, but we have gone way, way beyond blaming Mercury or other planets when they're retrograde that they're bad, they're negative. Just like I mentioned, Venus will be retrograde for six weeks, starting December 19th. Venus, of all the planets, goes retrograde the least. Rudyard pointed that out, Dave Rudyard. So relative to its orbit, Venus goes retrograde the least amount of time. Now, when Venus does go retrograde, there are many astrologers who come out and they'll say, particularly for clients or, or women in general, don't get married, be careful about romance. It's also important for men, anyone who's a creative artist. Uh, every man has an inner feminine, uh, as Carl Jung would point out, you know, what he called the anima or your muse. Every woman has an inner masculine called the animus or known as the animus. The, the opposite of our agenda is inside of us psychologically, at least I, I feel that very strongly, that that's very true. And it was shared by Carl Jung, who got into doing the marriage charts of many different people. So he was, he was also into astrology. At any rate, we have a situation where now I've just given you information about the next presidential inauguration. So I wanted to make sure you knew all that. Now, we're going to get into Roosevelt uh, here in a few moments. So what I wanted to say, and this is kind of important, is that back in uh, 1933, okay, so when Roosevelt came into office, it was March 4th of 1993. What we're going to be talking about is that it turned out that through uh, uh, an amendment to the Constitution that was already being worked on at that year, that not, what was going to happen was taking hold at the next time a president would be inaugurated would no longer be March 4th. So in 1937, when when Roosevelt became president the second time, he wasn't re-inaugurated on March 4th. The last time we had a president inaugurated on March 4th was uh, Franklin Roosevelt. And then during the uh, the amendment that was passed by three-quarters of legislatures, the 20th Amendment, changed the date to March 4th, but it didn't go into effect until 1937. So what I want to say here is that um, we're going to focus on January 20th of 1945. That's the first time since the U.S. president shifted from March 4th to January 20th that we had a void moon. However, and I could do a whole podcast on this, but I'm not going to do it. What happened was is that Franklin Roosevelt, his chart, his energy field, um, is just enormously significant. I mean, just enormously significant. Um, so I'm going to plunge into the inauguration ch uh, chart for January 20th of 1945 because Roosevelt then dies of a cerebral hemorrhage on April 12th. Harry Truman, who doesn't know anything about the Manhattan Project, becomes president at that point and so on. However, if you go back to March 4th, 1933, the very beginning of Roosevelt being in office for a time period that no other president has ever had, 12 four different terms in office, 12 years as president of the United States. That day, there was a first quarter moon, sun in Pisces and the moon in Gemini, which can represent crisis times. When you read my cosmic calendar, you will see that I often talk about uh, first quarter and last quarter moons being underrated. There are times when the sun and the moon are squaring each other. So uh, we so much of the focus in astrology about phases of the moon are the new moon and the full moon, new moon and full moon. We got the sun and moon together. They start a 29 and a half day solar lunar cycle. Midway through it, we get the full moon or a partial eclipse or a total eclipse of the moon and so on. Like we just had a partial eclipse of the moon. So it turned out that 
when Roosevelt started, and nobody knew at that point that he was going to be there for four terms because that was had never happened before, it turned out that Saturn was on his son. Okay, so what the country didn't know also was that he had been afflicted with polio when he was 39 years old. He'd already been involved with the government, assistant secretary to the Navy um, during uh, the Woodrow Wilson administration. When he was 39, which was uh, 1921, I guess it was. Let's see, he was born in 1882. I think it was 1921. So um, it turned out that he was also um, ran on a ticket um, as vice president and lost. Okay, eventually, then he got polio and then he became governor of New York. That's when he defeated Herbert Hoover in 1928. But meanwhile, he'd already been afflicted with polio and he was trying to recover. That's why when he died, he was at Warm Springs, Georgia, where he kept going because he never gave up on the idea of like being able to use his legs again and so on. So when, again, what the press did, just like with JFK, when the um, years later with JFK as president, the, the press didn't report about Addison's disease. They didn't report about his taking of pills for all the pain he had and all these other things uh, that were that were happening. So that was kept from the public. Well, what was pretty much kept from the public, and you got to remember there was no television um, going on. There was radio. There was, of course, advances with photography and, and moving pictures. So President Roosevelt was shown, and he was often shown with crutches or leaning on one of his sons or, or somebody who was helping him to move around. So, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't told to the public that, he had polio, okay? They just showed that there was this, what was going on. So many in the public didn't realize the extent to which the President of the United States had this extreme disability. It's just very interesting that when he gives his first uh, talk and he, and, he, and he talks about, you know, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. The traditional planet that was always said to rule fear before the discovery of Uranus was Saturn. Jupiter rules hope, Saturn rules fears. Fears. Jupiter rules optimism, Saturn rules pessimism. We had these kind of stark areas of yeses and nos with those two planets being, so to speak, opposites. In many ways, Jupiter and Saturn are complements. They're two halves of a coin. Now that we have discovered Uranus, Neptune, and Pluto, and other outer planets, we know that Saturn doesn't mean all the same things that we thought it meant. Okay, there were certain things that Jupiter would mean. Uh, for instance, that in many ways, Uranus and Neptune, which have a lot to do with intuition and imagination and psychic sensitivity, Jupiter was given all those things. If somebody was psychic, they could look into the future. They were more all-knowing or discovering things about dreams and visions. That was considered more connected to Jupiter and Mercury. We didn't know about Uranus. We didn't know about Neptune. We didn't know about Pluto. We didn't know about Eris, Sedna, Chaos, these different planets. So certain things, attributes, themes, and archetypes that you may read about, still read about in certain places about Jupiter and Saturn are not equally under, you know, true at this point. So we've, we we're learning and we're growing and everything. But what I'm trying to say is that, and I won't go into this with every single president, but if you go back to when they first became president, even though there was no void moon with Franklin Roosevelt, the situation was unbelievably significant. He didn't know that there was going to be you know, the Great Depression was being as terrible as it would be. I mean, the Depression had already started before he became president when the stock market crashed in 1929. So that by this point, even though Herbert Hoover wasn't really a terrible president, he was wiped out in a landslide by Franklin Roosevelt in, in uh, 1932. And so Roosevelt came in with this mandate, you know, but again, when, when he took the oath and he gives that famous speech about fear, 
the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Saturn is exactly on top of the sun in Aquarius. And there's a first quarter moon, sun in Pisces, moon in Gemini. And this is very important, Mars and Neptune are in a con conjunction. Mars and Neptune are retrograde. And you may have uh, heard when I did the Zodiac address in a podcast that each address has a number based on the 360 degrees in the, in the Zodiac. You can go back and it was something I studied a long time ago is in Welcome Planet Earth. And there's a podcast about that. Well, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, which is the address of the White House, reduces down through what we call Zodiac address to 10 degrees of Virgo. So if 10 degrees of Virgo shows up, and remember when John F. Kennedy was murdered, Uranus was at nine plus of Virgo or 10 degrees of Virgo. So we have Uranus and that's part of the whole reason why unfortunately that assassination happened. We still don't know exactly what happened. Uh, we don't, we haven't been told the truth about the FBI, the Secret Service, the CIA, Russia, the mafia, all these other things that have been didact, uh, you know, extracted from records. And uh, both President Trump and President Biden just recently have both delayed release of all of this, even though it's now 58 years later, when the American public was supposed to be told about things. Talk about why our public doesn't necessarily believe in vaccinations 100%. Uh, we don't know the truth about UFOs with Roswell, with the Arnold sighting, with all these other anomalies, even though the Naval Department, and we, we're seeing all these TikTok videos and anomalous conditions, not just in America, but all around the world. And something has stopped or is preventing uh, the American people and, and everybody in humanity from being able to know more about ancient aliens and UFOs and ETs and all of these other mysteries. Why that's still been kept into a secret like that, it's really hard to know that the 100% truth hasn't come out. At any rate, the United States came into being when Mars in Gemini and Neptune in Virgo were squaring each other. Um, and that's still a big part of our chart. But when the country was born, the founding fathers, everybody into astrology, when the country got started, they didn't know Neptune existed. So they knew Mars existed, that Mars was in the sign Gemini at a very strategic position. Turns out Franklin Roosevelt, when he takes the reins of office before he ever has the void moon, there's a Mars-Neptune conjunction. The union of the very two things that were squaring when America came into being that has a lot to do with chaos and confusion. And they were in conjunction um, within one degree, and Mars is at the degree of the White House, and Neptune is only one degree away. So talk about an extraordinary chart. There are many other things going on there. Uh, March 8th, just four days after he was inaugurated uh, for the first time in 1933, Uranus and Pluto made a square. Okay, um, so we had a situation where Uranus was at 21 plus of Aries, and Pluto was at 21 plus of Cancer. Uranus and Pluto were squaring in the early 1990s. You know who else was president during a Uranus-Pluto square? Five times, Barack Obama. Between 2012 and 2015, we had the repeat of what was happening during the Great Depression and the Roosevelt era. Biden now, to his credit, even though this has been a very challenging year, keeps talking about being the new Franklin Roosevelt, the new deal of, of Build Back Better and all these other things. Of course, the Republicans are all askance at this. They don't want a Rooseveltian kind of New Deal, federal government being all powerful. It is interesting, though, that Joe Biden in his chart has a conjunction. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So let me pull out the chart for a second. He's got, uh, let's see, where is it? Oh, I just pulled out a different chart. Sorry. Hold on. I'll get it. Um, it's one of these, okay, one of these numerous charts. 
But he basically has two asteroids at 11 degrees. I think it's Pallas and Juno. So um, I may rectify that later, but it's two asteroids. I know one of them is Pallas uh, at 11 of Aquarius. So he does have asteroids. This is our current president, Joe Biden, whether you, if you're on the liberal left side of things and you know he was elected, if or at least you believe he was elected uh, exactly as it, as it turned out. And if you're on the right side, and I'm mentioning it, you say, oh, Mark doesn't know anything because he, it was illegal. But the point is, is Joe Biden um, has two asteroids exactly where the sun was when Franklin Roosevelt was born. And that's where Saturn was when Franklin Roosevelt took on the presidency in 1933. Uh, and again, like I said, this is interesting that Uranus and Pluto talk about tough alignments squaring each other. That doesn't happen all that often, but it happened several times in the 1933 to 1935 period. And four days after Franklin Roosevelt became president, this happened. And like I just said, when Barack Obama was president in 2012, 2015, we had Uranus and Pluto again making squares. And Joe Biden was vice president on, during that time period. And as we'll get into, Joe Biden became vice president during a void moon, and he became president during a void moon. So these are all very, very fascinating kind of things. By the way, someone tried to assassinate uh, Franklin Roosevelt um, shortly before he became president. Giuseppe uh, Zang, I, I, I'm looking at my notes here, Zangus, I think. At any rate, he wound up killing the mayor of Florida, uh, Miami, and then he was uh, killed. I mean, he was electrocuted, I believe, for that murder. Uh, so he was the target of an assassination, Franklin Roosevelt, which is very interesting. Um, and that occurred just before uh, he actually took the reins of office. So that was in the uh, time period when Saturn was approaching his son, which can only happen every 29 years. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. So uh, there's a lot more in all of that. Okay, and there's many other charts that I'm not going to get into yet. Well, maybe in a part three, we'll finally do it. By the way, I wanted to mention one other thing before we plunge into these charts. Um, there was a cover story uh, back in 1992 in Aquarius. And it has Franklin Roosevelt's picture, Where is Our FDR? Uh, who will offer a new deal for America in the 1990s? And um, on that cover, which is what, 30? 29 and a half years ago. So talk about one Saturn cycle. So again, Joe Biden is trying to do all this. And the the one bill, uh, that infra, infrastructure bill that was just passed with 19 Republicans, that did pass. It's either one, tri uh, let's see, one trillion or $1.2 trillion or $800 billion. They keep changing the number. So that has to do with roads and bridges and tunnels and everything else. That we There weren't enough Republicans to sign on. The other bill that is still being negotiated is more of a social um, networking or uh, infrastructure having to do with child care and other kinds of things that are more uh, personal and familial and social to try and change things. And that's where Republicans are uh, wanting the Democrats to use their slim slim. 50 plus the vice president to, to pass it all on their own. And that, that may be the way that has to happen. We'll see. Any rate, on that cover of, of our Welcome Planet Earth, Aquarius 1992, 29 and a half years ago, um, I have the picture of Franklin Roosevelt with a big question mark, where is our FDR? Who will offer a new deal for America in the 90s? Well, we never had that. We did get Clinton and Gore. But um, 
we had these notes, or I had these notes typed on the cover, Republican president on the defensive, which referred to George Bush Sr., a failing economy, unemployment rising, increasing crime and gang warfare, fear and despair growing. Boy, you know, that's, except for, uh, you know, we could, we could talk about Trump uh, last year, a Republican president on the defensive because of the, uh, you know, the lies and all the things about where he's constantly calling the pandemic, the China virus, and then all these uh, misfacts or misrepresentations about what will help people, you know, and then not doing the vaccination, uh, getting that really fast going, uh, which was one positive thing during the, that I saw during the Trump administration. But these things about injecting different kinds of weird things into your body and things that no president should ever be talking about. Uh, a failing economy, yeah, people were out of work, people were losing their jobs, you know, people with the pandemic. So that was happening. Therefore, unemployment rising again in 2020, increasing crime and gang warfare. We had the riots. We had George Floyd. We had just what happened with Kyle Rittenhouse. That happened in, in August of, of last year due to the killing uh, of a black uh, Jacob Blake. And then Kyle Rittenhouse goes from Illinois, crosses state lines as a 17-year-old with a an AK-47 or advanced weapon winds up killing two or three people and just got off, plus fear and despair growing. So a lot of the stories that I've had wind up becoming significant. So I might wind up focusing on this one again, depending on what happens with, with Joe Biden and so on. So um, there's a piece of paper that I'm looking for, and I'm not sure if I'm going to find it. But the other thing that I did investigate, um, which is very significant, but for some reason I don't find the piece of paper right in front of me at the moment, is the interesting thing about these void moons that we're going to focus on is that I did research what was the aspect before the moon went void or when the moon actually went void, what was what, what aspect was the moon making? In most of these six uh, inaugurations where there's a void moon, the moon was in a more confrontational aspect to whatever planet was starting the void. So let's just say moon opposite Pluto, moon square Uranus. In one case with Nixon, the moon was, I think it was sextile Saturn. So there isn't a coherent thing of what caused, uh, it wasn't that a void moon in a negative alignment with the planet was the cause of the negativity of the void moon. I just want to be clear about that. So that wasn't necessarily the situation. Um, but I did investigate that. As I said earlier, what I'm not investigating here are March 4th uh, inaugurations of other presidents before January 20th of 1937. So I haven't done any exhaustive kind of thing. I'm only focusing on these Jan January 20th inaugurations. And what I want to start with here is the significance here of the first one. Because in astrology, we always talk about beginnings. Okay, your chart is the first moment of, of your life. Okay, the first breath. So when we talk about an inauguration of a president, that's the first breath of their particular inauguration. And not only is the president taking an oath, so is the vice president. So it's important to realize that both of the two leaders, whoever become president at any of these inaugurations, if there's a void moon, it's affecting both of them, all right? Okay, so let's just get in here, and that's where we're going to go for the rest of this particular podcast. So January 20th at noon, 1945, Roosevelt, this is his fourth time, 
uh, to be inaugurated, but now his inaugurations since January 20th, 1937, they're on January 20th, when the sun is at zero of Aquarius. So this is the granddaddy, shall we say, or the initiating point for all future void moons of presidents on January 20th. That's why this is significant. That's why I mentioned it's important to look at Franklin Roosevelt, and I, I haven't even gotten into his birth chart. Maybe I will do in part three to look at his natal chart and to look at, again, March 4th of 1933 as background. Uh, I mentioned some things about his life and what he did and getting polio and running for president and becoming governor of New York. But what I mean is there were things in his natal chart that all are, are going to relate, which I can't say right now just because it's too complicated. But the point is there was a void moon. Okay, so the void moon was at 26 of Aries, um, which is interesting so that the first void moon of a U.S. president since we shifted the day to January 20th occurred at exactly 26 degrees of Aries. It was noon, January 20th, 1945. Now, by the way, the other problem with the void noon, uh, moons is that because of the constitutional change, it's written in the Constitution that the president, whoever is going to become president, takes, it happens at noon. It, it's not on the day, January 20th, they can make a decision of what they want to do it. It's literally noon on that day. Whoever was president is no longer president, regardless of the minute you take the oath. You could put your hand on a Bible, whatever it is, 15 minutes before or 15 minutes after noon. But officially, based on the Constitution, you are legally then president of the United States. Now, we just had a situation in 2025, because I watched it, which bothered me a whole lot, that they set up a situation where, I think it was Kamala Harris, usually the vice president takes the oath first. Okay, that's another tradition. She took the oath about 20 minutes before noon. President Trump was still president of the United States, and she's taking the oath. It should be at noon or one minute afternoon or two minutes afternoon or as close to noon as humanly possible. And then Biden took the oath about 15 minutes before whatever. I thought that was inappropriate. Now, you could just say it was part of the day. There was a Mars-Uranus conjunction. The moon was void. And maybe that's part of like just a screw up of things or they decided to, to ha have it happen early. We know that Trump didn't plan to go, didn't want to go. He wasn't there. So maybe they just sort of felt, hey, we can do whatever we want. But based on the Constitution, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are not going to legally constitutionally become president until noon on that day. Why are they taking the oath of office 20 minutes early and 15 minutes early? That that bothered me a whole lot. Now, I don't you know, regardless of my own political views, I've said this over and over. You know, when George Bush number two was running for president against Gore, Bush had the better transits and progressions. We had the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in the year 2000 in Taurus. They had, we had the 36-day whole thing with the hanging chads in Florida. And as I've always said, if, if, if Al Gore has won his home state of Tennessee, he would have been president of the United States. It's as simple as that. And he didn't win his home state. There, it's just all kinds of things that are ridiculous. But it goes back to Bill Clinton you know, having a scandal, having his own void moon when Gore was vice president at that point. So it's almost like the idea of the sins of the father continue. If something happens under a void moon, the voidness or the uncertainty that that represents, it's like a contagion. It's kind of like, we might say, a political virus, just like we're talking about the pandemic. So in many ways, you want to think of the void moon in its shadow function. I shouldn't say it bad or negative. It's just 
a, a very anomalous kind of a thing. And again, we've had it for hundreds of years. And in this case, I'm just wanting to share what's going on here. So the moon was at 26 of Aries and was void. Okay, so um, that there's a chart that you will see. Now, all these charts are in uh, our folder on at Great Bear Enterprises. We have all these folders in the Mark Learner Astrology Radio Astroscope section. You can see charts and cover stories. So these are going to be, these particular charts are going to be in with podcast 86. Okay, so just so you know, there's an inauguration chart, 1945. And in the first house, you'll see uh, what's going on there. Now, it's very interesting because, again, this is in the Constitution. Noon on January 20th is the beginning of the term. Sedna, undiscovered, is exactly rising. Sedna, with 11,400-year orbit. I mean, Roosevelt, who, who, again, has always been battling polio, he's only 63 years old, okay? Um, he's not, I mean, we have Joe Biden just turned 79. Um, I mean, that, we've never had a president that old. So Sedna is exactly rising. So immediately we get back to what just happened with the partial lunar eclipse, where the moon was in late Taurus, conjunct Algol, this bi, bi, uh, binary star system where two stars are eclipsing each other. We've known about it for hundreds of years. It's considered the most difficult, dangerous star in the whole sky. And uh, the moon is conjunct Sedna and also with the Pleiades. And we get the Kyle Rittenhouse ver uh, verdict. We, we're getting another one in the next couple of days in uh, Georgia, I guess, with Ahmed Arbery, and we don't know which where that's going to go, but it's three three white men killing uh, a young black uh, person running away from them. So we'll see how that is. I know the jury is, out of 12 members, 11 are white and only one is black there, I believe, unless that was also in the jury. I'm not sure exactly who was on the jury in terms of ethnicity uh, with Kyle Rittenhouse, but we know that Wisconsin has some strange, you know, stand your ground rules, just like Florida and so on. So it wasn't all that shocking that he, uh, that Kyle Rittenhouse was declared not guilty. Although from uh, a common sense viewpoint, this is going to create all kinds of havoc for those people who think it's okay to just carry around rep uh, weapons of any kind and, and enter demonstrations and then do something that shouldn't be done and then claim, try and claim self-defense. You know, I was only de defending myself. That's why I had that weapon. I thought somebody was threatening me. So at any rate, here we go. We, we have, what's amazing about this chart, looking at it, I've already reported just a few minutes ago that Mars is very challenging. I mean, it's, a, it's been a traditional planet of war, uh, both in terms of conquering, in terms of leadership, in terms of soldiers, in terms of sports, in terms of ruling our heart, heart muscle, muscles in the body, arterial circulation. Mars has a lot to do with the bloodstream, has uh, all kinds of things that Mars rules. Mars is also leadership. Well, it turns out that at the exact moment of this void moon energy, again, Sedna is, is rising within a quarter of a degree, undiscovered, okay? And there's another outer planet, Varuna, 22 degrees of Aries. So that's right there as well. Uh, Varuna comes out of... Uh, uh, mythology from India being a god of creation. And then you'll see the crescent moon at 26 of Aries retrograde in the, in the latter areas of the sign of Aries. Now, in actuality, there's a sextile going on with Juno. You could see that Juno uh, in this chart is a 26 Gemini 28. So the moon was actually sextile Juno. That's an aspect. But since Juno is not utilized or used in recording all of this, it's, it was not considered to be a uh, uh, an aspect of the 60 degree aspect. 
You'll also see Jupiter is at 27 plus a Virgo. So the moon was approaching a 150 degree aspect, which is called either an inconjunct or a, a quincunx as a weird name. But since that aspect is not used, it's not part of what's called Ptolemaic astrology, we're still considering this as a void moon. But what, what I find really fascinating here uh, is that Mars is exactly above. 11 plus of Capricorn, the midhaven or the vertical point uh, in the upper region is, at, is, is right there. So this is uh, a very powerful Mars event. By the way, um, I did study uh, the inaugural chart for Lincoln's second inaugural, March 4th of 1865, okay? Uh, he only he died on April 14th. So five weeks after he was inaugurated and gave a great speech, Abraham Lincoln. In that chart, there was a first quarter moon and the moon was in the 12th house. So the sun was in Pisces, just like um, the situation I, I described with Franklin Roosevelt when he came into office on March 4th, 1933. Uh, the sun in a first quarter relationship to the moon in Gemini, that Lincoln's second inaugural has the same energy field. The sun is in Pisces above. The moon is in Gemini in a first quarter relationship. At that point, the war is still happening because Appomattox uh, with Lee surrendering to Grant doesn't happen until April 9th. This is March 4th of 1865. And uh, that's the speech with malice toward none and so on. The idea that the war was you know, about to end and we need to you know, be accommodating and, and nurturing to, to, to the South and the North, at least you know, the tone of that particular speech. But Mars is in the 12th house. So we get the moon and Mars in the 12th house, which traditionally can represent a house of undoing or things that are mysterious and so on. So at any rate, um, just wanted to bring all that up. This is a very powerful chart. There's many other things going on in the chart that we could, we could talk about, but uh, at least for your own discussions and looking around, you can see you know, what is going on here. For, let me just mention one other thing. You'll see where the Juno position in the third house next to it is Saturn. Uh, and Saturn's at five and a half of Cancer. Well, that's the Jupiter position of the United States birth chart, July 4th, 1776. Uh, you'll also see that Mercury in the ninth house is at seven plus a Capricorn. So there was a Mercury-Saturn opposition. The Juno that's at 26 of Gemini is squaring Jupiter. So they're in a square relationship. You'll also see Uranus in the second house and nine plus a Gemini. And uh, that's squaring that's uh, you know, what was happening was Uranus was coming back to its own position at eight plus of Gemini. So that was already happening in 1944. We had D-Day happen in, in Europe, uh, the liberation of France. Uh, we're on the, on the road to winning in Europe, which, which then happened uh, after Harry Truman took the oath on April 12th after the president had a cerebral hemorrhage. By the way, uh, I'm not getting into that particular chart, but when he did die on April 12th, 1945, there was an energy field that hit the Sedna and the uh, Varuna. There was a new moon in Aries had just occurred there on the rising area of this particular chart. So the January 20th, 1945 chart, and then is connected to the April 12, 1945 chart um, when there's a powerful event in the heavens that activates the, this rising area and the area near the moon. So that's why I said eventually this chart is connected to many other charts, including um, the death of Franklin Roosevelt by a cerebral hemorrhage in Warm Springs, Georgia. And then literally that day, uh, Harry Truman at the White House takes the oath of office only a couple of hours later. 
But earlier in that day, there had been this energy field of a new moon happening, uh, activating Sedna and Varuna and the rising area of the U.S. chart. By the way, I uh, almost forgot to mention this. The United States Chiron, which we didn't know ex existed when the country began, because uh, Chiron wasn't discovered until uh, November 1, 1977. This is the Chiron degree um, rising. 20 plus of areas, the United States Chiron is at that particular position when this first uh, uh, void of course moon came in with under Franklin Roosevelt. So that adds another element because uh, Chiron is the wounded healer. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt was a wounded healer. He had polio. Saturn was on his son when he took the oath, oath of office um, in 1933 and immediately uh, the 100 days. The Biden administration, they're trying to emulate that energy making Joe Biden into into another Franklin Roosevelt. So whether or not that happens, uh, we, we don't know. The odds are kind of against it. I mean, certainly we're not going to have Joe Biden for a number of terms. That, that's not going to happen because the rules are out. And the odds of electing an 81-year-old person or 82, he will be 82 years old. Um, I just can't see that happening, that the Democrats, I mean, personally, I'm just saying, I, I just don't think unless... We have all kinds of incredible recoveries, and somehow we think as a nation we want to have an 82-year-old be president for four years. I mean, we learned that Ronald Reagan, who was inaugurated age 69 to 70, spent eight years as president, that he had Alzheimer's or a certain kind of, uh, shall we say, mental failings that were happening in the second term. Uh, but that only happened after looking back on it. But I think just in terms of health and what most people understand medically and just in terms of general health, it's really questionable whether the Democrat should be running, even if he wants to run, somebody who's 82 years old for a four-year term till he's 86. So I think the Democrats need to really think about all that. So it is interesting to see this first one of these charts with all these different positions. And there are other ones in here that I just can't get into all of it. Okay. Uh, I do have Franklin Roosevelt chart in front of me, it, so I just will mention a couple of interesting things. The Saturn position I just mentioned, five plus a cancer, when the void moon happened on January 20th, 1945, his natal moon, Franklin, uh, Franklin Roosevelt's natal moon is six plus a cancer. So Saturn was on his moon, okay, when this happened. And his moon is also conjunct the United States Jupiter. So Saturn was on Jupiter for the U.S., when this first void, of course, moon happened under Franklin Roosevelt, and his own natal moon was being afflicted, shall we say, by Saturn being there, which can only happen every 29 years. So that's incredibly significant right right there. By the way, in a, um, Franklin Roosevelt's death on April 20, 12, 1945, is connected to um, President Kennedy dying November 22, 1963, during an, uh, due to an exact lunar uh, return cycle, which happens every 18 and a half years. Uh, think about April of 1945, and you had 18 and a half years, you get the fall of 1963. And the uh, transiting nodes, particularly I use the mean nodes rather than what are called the true nodes, there's two different nodal systems, and they're basically two ways of, of calculating the nodal pattern. Rob Hand, uh, the astrologer, brought us the true nodes, We've always had the mean nodes that are going retrograde about three minutes of arc every single day. So those are the average positions of the transiting north and south nodes of the moon, which are connected to fate and destiny. So I reported this back, and I don't know if astro other astrologers know this, but President Kennedy himself 
when when Roosevelt died, okay, uh, President Kennedy was born in 1917. So he was, what, 28, uh, 27 years old, 27 plus years old, okay, because he was born in May of 1917, would have been 27 plus years old. And I remember hearing JFK talking about everyone knew where they were when Roosevelt died because he had been like president for so long. So then when he died, when Franklin, when uh, JFK died, talk about, I mean, I'm 13 and a half. I'm half the age of JFK when he learned of Franklin Roosevelt dying. And I remember JFK talking about like everyone knew where they were because Franklin Roosevelt was like an institution. I mean, to be four terms as president, guiding America through the Great Depression, the rise of Hitler, the rise of Mussolini, the rise of Stalin, the rise of now, I mean, all these different things in the 1930s, the Great Depression. And then uh, uh, be before even D-Day, we have the Japanese attack on December 7, 1941, fighting in the Pacific, fighting in the Atlantic. And again, in my family, my father served in the Philippines, in the army. My uncle was in the army and served uh, served in Europe. I had another uncle who also served in Europe. So, you know, growing up in the 1950s, for me, hearing all about the war, uh, reading all about it, studying history, that's part of the reason I'm, I'm into all of this because of what my father and my uncles went through and also realizing that my dad, who was born in 1915, was only 14 years old when the stock market crashed and he was still a teenager, uh, late teen when Franklin Roosevelt took the oath of office and then he's in in there for 12 years and it's during that time I, my father winds up going to medical school becomes a captain in the army and is sent to the Philippines to fight against the Japanese and my uncle who was five years older uh, who had actually gone to medical school in St. Andrews in Scotland I didn't really think about that too much when I wound up going to Findhorn community and becoming a member there in Scotland, not that far from St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, but that my uncle who I was very close to, um, and I have a lot of my cousins are into medicine. I, I didn't go into it myself, but I almost did. Um, it's these connections to the wartime period. So that's part of the reason I'm doing all this. At any rate, there's many other things in the chart here that are really fascinating. Uh, which I would love to get into, but I think I will save it for, for part three. But let me put it this way. Franklin Roosevelt's chart is very connected to the void moon on January 20th, 1945, and then the further connection, of course, of his death on April 12th of 1945. So uh, we'll get into that in the part three. So, of course, the U.S. chart is also provided in, in uh, Podcast 86, and you want to take a look at that. And the U.S. chart becomes very involved in all of these, all of these for sure, all of these void moons. Okay, so then we get, let's just go through this maybe in the next 20 minutes or so. I don't want this to be too long, but we're at what? We're at an hour and 45 minutes, so we're doing pretty well, considering I've done over three hours in different podcasts. And I did take the liberty of trying to share about some of these other activities going on, as, as I'm glad I was able to share about with Kyle Rittenhouse and Kamala Harris becoming president for 85 minutes and Venus going retrograde on December 19th when Chiron is also going to be stationary. Talking to you about Ceres and Sedna and the node of the moon all coming together in January, reminding you that we're in the cycle for America of Neptune opposing its own position for the first time since the 1850s and Pluto about to return next year. 
uh, people would say, you know, we're in a pickle. Well, that's a very minor way of talking about what America's going through and what the world is going through. One other reminder about cycles coming up here before we plunge into JFK. We, three times this year, Saturn and Uranus are squaring each other. So, well, that's not as tumultuous as, say, Uranus squaring Pluto sev several times in the early 30s, 1930s, when Hitler c comes to power. And by the way, I have shared this before. Hitler comes to power. He wants a 1,000-year Reich. And the Third Reich chart, which is January 30th, 1933, is like the Kennedy assassination. There's a, a 3, 4, 5 Pythagorean triangle. The, the other one that I've studied historically is the Boston Tea Party. Uh, there's a Pythagorean triangle. So in terms of exactitude of cycles, the Kennedy assassination of Mercury at 9 plus Sagittarius, Jupiter 9 plus Aries, and Uranus 9 plus Virgo, that's the most exact one. And again, Pythagorean triangles, they go back to Pythagoras, they go back to the creation of the Great Pyramid. This is part of when, when we've all taken geometry, after we've taken algebra and we, we study geometry, this is what astrology really is. I mean, it's the circle of 360 degrees, we're putting in triangles, we're putting in uh, stars, we're putting in three, four, five triangles, right triangles, we're, put, we're inscribing different things. All of our charts, each one of our charts, have these patterns, whether we see them or not. Sextiles of 60 degrees, oppositions of 180 degrees, conjunctions of zero degrees, squares of 90 degrees, and so on. They're all forming different geometric forms. I, I could go on about this, and I've shared about this, particularly in our, our love lives and our compatibility with parents, with children, with partners. One of the big things is we're actually forming triangles and squares and star patterns if we actually can look at the charts and merge them together, we're often missing a grand triangle and a partner or a parent or a child provides the third point and therefore the two people together form a geometric whole. And sometimes we have three parts of a cross that would be need a fourth part and we're missing that. That's what's called a T-square triangle and we meet somebody and they have a planet, the sun, moon, or a planet at the fourth point. So this is a whole phenomenal field. Um, I don't know if anybody's actually written about it all, we do have Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, who got into gestalts and chart aspects in one of his great books about the chart of horoscope interpretation. He gives out, I think it's nine different ways of looking at holistic patterns, but he wasn't using the four main asteroids. He wasn't using Chiron. And so in most of the charts that are done now by astrologers, we have a profusion of bodies, asteroids, not just Chiron, but there's Shariklo and Pholos and other centaur-like bodies with different orbits. Chiron has a 50-year cycle, and Chiron is very connected to President Kennedy because on the day he was assassinated, Chiron was stationary. It wasn't moving. And I, you'll read about that in The Wound That Never Heals, America's Turning Point of the 20th Century in the Earth Aquarius News section. So please do take a look at that. So anyway, there's a lot more I could share about all that, but let's get to the chart itself. So JFK is inaugurated January 20th of 1961. Again, the Constitution says noon. Okay, so we've sort of like, uh, I don't know. I mean, is it better that it says noon? The whole point of it was why did we shift from March 4th? This had to do with what's called the lame duck Congress. In the beginning, when, the, when, when George Washington takes the oath of office on April 30th, 1789, the country has come into existence at the Declaration of Independence in terms of its first breath. But then the war goes on, and America doesn't win that war until Yorktown, 
in October of 1781, six months after Uranus is discovered on March 13th in Bath, England by Sir William Herschel. And the discovery of Uranus changes everything. Shocks, surprises, all the things that we now know about Uranus, uh, breakthroughs, breakdowns, uh, shockwaves, uh, intuition, higher uh, learning, inventions, radio, television, all the, the Industrial Revolution, and so on. So many things come out of that discovery. But what happened in a short term was the American Revolution, which America was losing very, very badly, 1777, 1778, 1779, 1780. You know, remember everything? Valley Forge, when we're kids, we're reading all about the Winter Valley Forge, the colds, and all these different problems and things going on with our troops and losing battles and so on. Even though we're allied with the French and the British are allied with the Germans, you read all about all that, Lafayette with the French, read about the Hessian troops, Germans are supporting the British and so on. And the odds of the 13 colonies winning this thing are like a zillion to one. I mean, again, I vote a joke around. If there was a Las Vegas and you put like, oh, I'm going to bet $10 that the colonies are going to defeat the British Empire, they would have said, okay, well, it's like 10,000 to one. You know, if, if you want to give us 10 bucks and throw it away, fine. But they wind up winning because of all kinds of things. And again, I've also shared that the Uranus discovery chart kind of like these void, of course, moon charts, has extra power for various reasons. I don't want to get into all of that, but I will do a whole podcast about the discovery charts of various planets, Uranus, Neptune, Pluto, Sedna, Chiron, Chaos, and so on. So that's going to come at another point. We'll get into what what is really going on in discovery charts. How powerful are they? And I think they're extremely powerful. And again, so it turns out uh, we're not getting into JFK's chart at the moment, but you can, if you read The Wound That Never Heals, which is complimentary, then you'll you'll get a lot of this. The, it turns out JFK, who's born May 29th, 1917, his son is located at eight degrees or seven plus of Gemini. That's the seventh house of the chart we use at Welcome to Planet Earth for the last 40 years. The America's chart that we use has seven plus of Sagittarius rising, JFK's son, He's the first U.S. president with the sun in Gemini. We had all these other signs being president. JFK is our first Gemini sun sign president. Then we get George Bush, number one, who's the next one. And then we get Donald Trump. So it's only in recent memory. Okay, since 1961, last 60 years, we have three Gemini sun sign presidents. Okay, so that's very unusual. The point is the U.S. has the sun. Uh, ha we have Mars at 22 of Gemini. We've got Mars squaring our Neptune at 23 of Virgo. Now we know chaos is conjunct our Neptune at the top of America's birth chart. So when the country comes into being, the founding fathers and mothers and anybody into astrology, they don't know that there's a Neptune that will be discovered in 1846. They don't know that there's a chaos that will be discovered uh, in no on November 19th of 1998. They don't know that. So sitting at the vertical power angle of the U.S. chart is a Neptune, Poseidon, God of the Seas, all these other things, oil, uh, compassion, universal love, higher octave to Venus, psychic sensitivity, all kinds of amazing things. Communism comes out, the gold rush. This is in the late 18. 1840s after Neptune's discovered seven September 24th of 1846, fighting a war against Mexico. Um, but then the gold rush in particular, manifest destiny, you know, the fulfillment of the United States going uh, from from the Louisiana Purchase that happened under, under Thomas Jefferson in, in the early 1800s when the asteroids were discovered. Now we discover Neptune. But chaos isn't discovered until 1998. These two celestial bodies are at the top of the U.S. chart and Mars is at 
right angles to them. But the founding fathers and mothers, anyone into astrology, in July 4th, 1776, when we take our first breath, they don't know that, okay? So, and, and we also don't know that Uranus, okay, is going to be discovered five years or four and a half years after the country begins a declaration of independence. Uranus becomes discovered during that year that the, the Revolutionary War is won. I mean, if you really think about that, the whole history of the world, philosophically, in terms of the heavens, I mean, we had people who were saying, hey, the earth isn't the center, okay? The sun is the center. You go back to Aristarchus, you go back to ancient Greece, here and there, people saying, you know, the sun. Then you get Copernicus, you get Galileo. Well, I was just watching the show the other night. I forget what show it was, but it was all about the a guy went to Italy. Oh, actually, it was, uh, I wanted to recommend this. The Search for Planet B. A lot of people, you don't like CNN anymore. Well, CNN had a really good documentary, and it's called The Search for Planet B. It's about the James Webb Telescope that's supposed to launch December 18. Now, whether it actually launches, this is like a way beyond Hubble. And we'll be able to see the birth of, and go back to the Big Bang, first stars, first galaxies, because they're sending out this, this amazing telescope named after this person, James Webb, who worked at NASA. And it's a little bit of a controversial thing. At any rate, I saw part of that show. Well, one person went back to Galileo, where he actually was ensconced by the Vatican for like the last 10 years of his life for giving out the her her heretical notion that had come through Copernicus so hundred or so years before. And let's not forget Galileo. He actually discovered Neptune, but that's a whole other story. Before, this is a hundred, what was a hundred and sixty years before, before 1781, I think it was 1609, 1610, with his telescopes, he actually sighted Neptune, didn't know it was Neptune, draw pictures of it. So I have dates for that. At some point, I will do more of a podcast. So Galileo actually discovered the planet that, that has a, a cycle twice as far from Uranus. He actually sighted Neptune in like 1609, 1610. It was in December. Uh, so I have all this chart work for it. It's really fascinating. And there was a Jupiter-Neptune conjunction around that time. But again, he's he's taken, um, you know, by the Inquisition, basically, and the Vatican and so on. is like, hey, you know, they had just burned Giordano Bruno to, at the stake. Terrible kind of thing to an astrologer who was also a priest and into religion and metaphysics in the year 1600. So this is all happening under kind of that 20-year cycle. Uh, any rate, so JFK, and you can see the inaugural chart. Again, it's locked in, whether he took the oath on a Bible after or before. I remember watching it, and it happened late. As far There was a snowstorm. It was very cold. Robert Frost did a uh, read poems there, and it was an extremely cold day with snow there and so on. Well, at any rate, so JFK, the, you'll see a moon at 23 plus of Pisces, okay, in this chart. That's void. It's It's... In the area approaching the uh, the the area of uh, the twelfth house, okay, in this particular chart. So what's going on here is that uh, the moon is actually approaching one hundred fifty degrees to Uranus toward the bottom of the chart in Leo. So you'll notice that that's interesting going on there. So the moon is actually approaching one hundred and fifty degrees, but that doesn't count because it's not used in this analysis. Another thing is that. Here's Juno again, just as we found with Franklin Roosevelt, 
that the moon in Aries was actually sextile to Juno in Gemini. We'll look up in this chart where the sun is overhead at zero of Aquarius. You'll see Juno to the right at 27 of Capricorn, which is actually the United States Pluto position. And the moon at 23 Pisces was trine Juno. But that trine was, is not included, okay? Now, the other thing is moon is coming from a conjunction with Venus, okay? So we get a very powerful cycle going on there um, where the moon is coming from Venus. And what we know, you know, with the presidency there of JFK, we have him with Jackie Kennedy, who's much younger. We've got the two little kids, uh, uh, JFK Jr. and Caroline, okay? So we get this kind of... Uh, young family energy going on. Notice Vesta and Chiron at 29 plus of Aquarius, okay? When the president is murdered in Dallas on December 22nd, 1963, the sun is at 29 plus Scorpio, exactly squaring Vesta and Chiron. Now, I, I told you before, when he dies on November 22nd, 1963, Chiron is not moving. So that was a, one of the most important things, and I investigated that. You can read more about it when you read my story there, The Wound That Never Heals. But it is very amazing that the sun is at 29 and three quarters of Scorpio. The sun is void. Just like today, the sun is void at 29 plus of Scorpio. Back then, the sun was void, but it was with this inaugural chart, making an exact square to Vesta, which has a lot to do with safety and security. Eventually, when um, President Kennedy is put to rest a few days later, um, Jackie Kennedy has created what's called the Eternal Flame at Arlington National Cemetery. The symbol of Vesta is a flame with two Vs. It's up in the 10th house of this chart. So, uh, and Chiron is the wounded healer. Again, like Franklin Roosevelt who had polio, who uh, JFK, even though JFK's father, who was the ambassador court of St. James, was kind of a germ germophile, a ger germanophile, shall we say, and in the early days supported Hitler and also didn't feel we should get involved with a European war. And that kind of destroyed Joseph Kennedy's own desire to run for president. That's what led um, the eldest son, Joseph Kennedy, to wind up taking a very dangerous mission and getting blown up out of the sky um, against Nazis when he was 29. And that was after JFK with his PT-109 had already been injured and was in the hospital and got uh, the Navy Cross and other things. It, it's what spurred the elder, uh, uh, the eldest son who was born in 1916, a year before JFK in 1917. He decided to take a dangerous mission. It was like, well, if if Jack can can you know do all this PT 109, get all these awards, I need to do something that will make me stand out because that Kennedy family was very competitive, as we know. And then he died uh, at a Saturn return. That's what led. Joseph E. Kennedy to push JFK into running for Congress. He and Nixon came in at the same time in 1947. Then Nixon became a senator earlier than JFK. JFK became a senator and then eventually uh, was trying to be vice president to uh, during Adlai Stevenson's second run in 1956, didn't get on the ticket, then wound up winning the close election with Nixon in 1960, which then leads to his inauguration under a void moon. And also, again, Mars is retrograding um, at this point. Let's see where Mars is in the chart. Okay, one plus a Cancer uh, in the second house, you'll see down below. You'll also see though Neptune, which I've been talking about again, we're in a Neptune wave where Neptune is opposing our own position in 2021 into 2022. We haven't had this for 164 years since the 1850s. You'll notice 
Neptune setting in this uh, inauguration chart. You also notice Varuna, which was very significant, which is an India creation god. It was rising when when we have the chart for Franklin Roosevelt uh, in Aries, and now we see another Varuna rising, and Sedna's not too far from that area. It's in the 12th house of 27. Notice that Sedna, 27 of Aries, is squaring Juno in uh, the JFK inaugural chart, so they're square. Remember, Juno is at the U.S. Pluto position, a 27 plus a Capricorn. And all these dangerous positions going on in these charts, or at least things that could become dangerous. Notice also, Pluto is conjunct the North Node. Pluto is at 7 plus a Virgo. JFK's own sun is 7 plus a Gemini, and the United States Uranus is at seven uh, is at eight of Gemini. So the nodes are squaring the United States Uranus. Pluto is squaring the United States Uranus. Pluto is squaring JFK's own sun when this is happening. And uh, the moon, again, it's approaching a, an arc of 150 degrees to Uranus. Okay, and Uranus, when the president is, is assassinated, is part of that three, four, five triangle, as I said, where Uranus has moved from this 24 Leo position and after a thousand days, approximately, you know, how long JFK was president, Uranus then is sitting, it's just gone past this north node in the inaugural chart, sitting one degree past there. It's on the degree of 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue if we use 360 degree notation. But there is the Mars retrograde, and as we'll see, what happens 32 years later during the second Clinton administration is Mars is, is, is retrograde, uh, excuse me, is going to be retrograde again in 1993 when Clinton becomes president for the first time. Not when he's going to have a void moon. Void moon for Clinton is the second term, but we get a Mars retrograde 32 years later. Clinton becomes president and Mars is retrograding at 13 plus a Cancer, which is the star Sirius, which is part of like all the esoteric work I've been doing over the years with Lucis Trust and the Tibetan Master DK, the Alice Bailey teachings, the Great Bear Sirius and the Pleiades in their triangle of, of star energies and constellation energies. At any rate, there is, there's a lot more in all of this. Uh, every position in this inaugural chart, you know, is up for grabs as being significant in some way or another. So I don't want to, you know, dismiss anything, you know, unimportant, but we, we can look in the sixth house, you'll see Quaor, 20, 20 plus of Libra, as an example. Quaor is a creator god beta, based on Native American tribe in Los Angeles. Quaor, when the United States is born, is conjunct the moon and Pallas Athena, 26 plus of Aquarius. Quaor, when JFK takes the oath, 20 plus of Libra. Okay, that's the Juno position in the United States birth chart, which has a lot to do with empowerment and peace and harmony when it's working well. But as I share a whole lot in our global hotspot features, new moons and full moons, if Juno is negative, uh, then we can have psychic storms in the psychic atmosphere. We can have terrorism. We can have events like an assassination. So Juno is playing a big role at this inauguration. It's with the sun. It's uh, in a square to Sedna. Uh, Juno is exactly on the U.S. Pluto position. The Pluto is conjunct the North Node in Virgo, squaring JFK's sun, squaring uh, the United States Gemini. And now we see Quayor, another powerful outer planet, exactly on the United States Juno position, and also Quayar is squaring Saturn in the ninth house of this JFK chart, which is at 21 of Capricorn. Uh, a lot of different positions here all over the place. We do see that um, Venus and Jupiter are sextile. Okay, it may look kind of like a, almost like a trine, but Venus is at 17 of Pisces, 17 plus of Pisces. Jupiter is at 18 plus of Capricorn. 
So tremendous amount of great things did happen during the JFK administration. I believe it was JFK as president who saved us with Robert Kennedy. If we had had Nixon, I wouldn't be here. You wouldn't be here. We would have had uh, potentially a catastrophe with nuclear weapons during the 13 days of October. That's my firm belief. By the way, the movie 13 Days uh, with Kevin Costner, if you have never seen it, try and see the, you know, on Stars or Showtime or wherever you can get, get it. It's a profound movie, uh, well done with great actors and so on, uh, as well as Kevin Costner. Um, he doesn't play JFK, but he plays the advisor, Kenny O'Donnell. And the actor playing Robert Kennedy looks a lot like him. It's a great movie. It's just really well done uh, across the board. So at any rate, I recommend that. All right, we could go on about this, but I've said a whole lot, and I want to make sure I cover these other ones, you know, before we, we get done with part two. Okay, so we get Richard Nixon, and we could go on about Watergate, and Richard Nixon being born at a new moon with the sun in Capricorn, um, and a moon in Aquarius, and his birth chart, and Watergate, and so many other things. What I will say is that year, 1968, when Robert Kennedy is murdered in June, Martin Luther King has been murdered on April 4th, um, I'm at Michigan State University. I'm just beginning to be a writer for the Michigan State University newspaper. Eventually, this is like how I get my first work in the world, even though I'm 17, 18, 19, 20 years old during my time there. So 1968 is, is often considered now after 2020, what happened last year with the pandemic and so many other things as like, we're always comparing, well, the, the, the civil, the, the riots, the, the two assassinations, of Martin Luther King and Robert Kennedy in the spring of 1968, um, the withdrawal from uh, running again by President Johnson, what was happening with the Vietnam War, um, all the different student revolutions that went on in the spring. That's part of what I started doing in my writing to become a columnist there. And I become kind of famous, I mean, on the campus because my picture was on there. And for a number of years, I just had a gig of, of writing and I started as an editorial writer. Uh, just as a lark, just walking into their office and saying, hey, do you have a job there? And I had never had really a whole lot of background, except I was getting into, uh, I was just my first year as a student, and I was eager to do something and wound up getting a job. It just was one of those meant to be things. I started my career as being a writer and uh, doing everything I've been doing in the field of astrology, writing and publishing, Welcome to Planet Earth, and doing these consultations and everything else. So, uh, the second term after Nixon defeats Humphrey and George Wallace takes away some of the uh, electoral votes and there's kind of a three-way split, uh, just it'll be kind of interesting because Ross Perot, uh, while he doesn't take electoral votes, takes away a lot of the, the votes that would have gone to George Bush in, in 1993 when Clinton becomes president, doesn't get doesn't become president uh, when, when we get into the 1990s, talk about Bill Clinton. He never has 50% or more of the vote. It's not like when Nick's, uh, excuse me, when Johnson beats, uh, when Johnson wins in 1964 over Barry Goldwater, it's a complete route. I think Johnson gets 58 or 59% of the vote. Uh, when Ronald Reagan beats Jimmy Carter and then Walter Mondale, again, it's another monster victory uh, by Ronald Reagan in terms of electoral vote. When uh, Franklin Roosevelt wins against Herbert Hoover the first time, and in almost all of, all of the elections of Franklin Roosevelt, it's a, it's a sweep. It's not close at all. 
in terms of electoral vote or you know popular vote it's very clear that roosevelt wins every single time that he's in there it's, there's never like a question mark for instance uh, with uh, nixon though um, in 68 it's a close election in 72 it isn't against uh, uh, when, when he's running there against the south dakota senator <laughs> why I'm not remembering his name at the moment because I'm just not focusing, but I will remember it at some point. That's the first time I ever vote um, when we've got the 72 election. So Watergate has just happened in June of 1972, but it's downplayed by by uh, Nixon and his staff, even, even though all of the scandal gets started about the plumbers and wanting to break into the Democratic National Committee and so on. So um, we, we get... Uh, Nixon winning, you know, very handily in November of 1972, and then he's inaugurated January 20th of 1973 at noon again. So here we've got uh, this chart coming in, and what happens here is, this is pretty, I didn't even realize this, the moon is at 24 plus a Leo, that's the void position. That's exactly the Uranus position for when JFK uh, was inaugurated back in 1961, 12 years earlier. Okay, so the other thing that's interesting is that Nixon and Kennedy ran so close together in 1960. That's the first time I was ever focused on elections. And the decision wasn't until the following morning after results came in for Texas and Illinois. And it was always said that Mayor Daley stole the election away from Nixon uh, because of the connection between the Kennedys and Mayor Daley, who is mayor or the Democratic mayor of Illinois. Now, they never proved this. I, I believe Nixon wanted to, was was thinking of contesting because of the results in Illinois and Texas. Turned out that Richard Nixon actually won California. That Those results hadn't come in. But whoever was going to win Illinois and Texas during that very big night, November 8th in 1960, the results didn't come in the following morning. I was a Kennedy as a 10-year-old. I just, like, you know, the youthful Kennedy guy didn't really like Nixon as a 10-year-old. That was just my personal opinion, nothing really politically. And nothing, certainly, with religion about him being Catholic, because we had never had a Catholic president um, ever. Now we have the first, second Catholic president, Biden. So JFK, that was a whole other thing I've talked about before. Uh, people were really worried when JFK was running, and he had to convince all these Protestant ministers, which he did at a, a talk in Houston in September of 1960. He wound up getting a standing ovation. It was 500 ministers, and he talked all about the fact that the Pope in Rome is not going to determine you know, my views. And he was focusing on the separation of church and state. Think about that. You know, you had all these Protestant ministers who were worried, you know, we don't want this JFK, JFK Catholic guy and we'd never had a Catholic as president. So uh, there was, uh, I'm probably not gonna remember his name either because I don't have all this in front of me. We'd already had a previous governor of, uh, of New York who, was, who uh, lost, um, it wasn't to Hoover, but I think it was to Harding, um, who ran for president, but he was the first person to run and he lost, okay. So we don't get our first Catholic president until JFK. So he goes down to Houston, and there's a convention of Protestant ministers. He gets a standing ovation, and basically, this is only two months before the election, and it could have turned the tide. Um, it's a great speech, and one of the other things about JFK with his son in Gemini, as we had with George Bush Sr., not as much intellectually, necessarily, on the level of JFK. Of course, with the Trump years, with, um, with the son in Gemini, 
so much about the language of each of these presidents, what they said, how they said it, um, whether to me, the, the, be the best president of the modern era, and I had a whole book on this, JFK and the Press, his witty energy, his ability to turn a phrase, the, the, the process of his mind, because let's not forget JFK had already written Profiles and Courage. He had written While England Slept. He was basically a writer who wound up being pushed into this, this role of being a politician. So he was a writer, he was a thinker, and so he was fast on his feet with the press and did very well for the most part uh, for the short, short time he was president. So very different than what we see with contentiousness under the Trump and you know, Trump time and with Nixon in particular, who hated the press. You won't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore. That's when he lost to Ed Brown in California after losing to to uh, to JFK in 1960. He, he tried to win the governorship of California in November of 62. And Ed Brown or Edmund Pett Brown, uh, the, the father of Jerry Brown, who wound up serving two terms or several terms as 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 governor, you know, uh, he was eventually called Moonbeam Brown. Remember Jerry Brown, the son of uh, Edmund Brown. But Edmund Brown defeated Nixon very handily in November of '62, and Nixon gave this press conference, uh, being very frustrated. This is why it was so amazing that six years later he winds up becoming president, running against Humphrey and George Wallace, one of the greatest comebacks ever, um, you know, for any person. So uh, that's when he gave the press conference. You won't have Richard Nixon to kick around anymore because, gentlemen, this is my final press conference. Well, it was it was never Nixon's final press conference. So, you know, I can still remember, you know, watching these things. And I was only 12 years old at that point. So that was 62. That's the year, be, you know, in the spring. Well, that, that was actually uh, a month after um, the uh, 13 days of October of 62. It was it was the following month. And so we had JFK and RFK basically saving the nation. And then Nixon lost and was su supposedly out of politics. And many of you may know, Nixon was in Dallas at Love Field. He was leaving. He, there was some kind of business meeting that he had for 24 hours. And he was in Dallas um, that morning. And he was leaving as, as JFK and um, Vice President Johnson, Jackie Kennedy came into Love Field. Nixon was leaving in 64. So again, to see that at the inauguration 1973, uh, January 20th, 73, noon, again, fixed by the Constitution, we got a void moon. And the moon is down below. So this is interesting because Watergate had already happened in June of 72. Uh, he swept into power in November. Okay. Uh, and <laughs> for some reason, I, I, I know uh, Eagleton was on the ticket. Uh, with the South Dakota senator, and for some, I can see his face, and I can't remember his name, and all of you will say at some point, don't you remember so-and-so? Anyway, he's the guy I voted for back in Forest Hills at my public school. The first time I ever voted was in uh, the summer of 1972. So uh, uh, Eagleton was on the ticket, but he had electric shock uh, treatment that they found out afterwards, talking about a blow to the Democrats and their process of uh, venting or trying to figure out, um, you know, like if their vice president had done everything correctly. So then they put Sergeant Shriver on the ticket, who was a, you know, part of a, the Kennedy family, and they wound up going to disastrous defeat in 72. So uh, the, the election of Nixon in 68 was extremely close. And if I'm not mistaken, Nixon actually got the same number of electoral votes that JFK got. Okay, this is kind of the weird thing of Trump defeating Hillary Clinton, uh, 
and then Biden defeating Trump by exactly the same numbers, okay, four years apart, that is not a, those are no, those are not accidents. Those are synchronicities. So you can look it up, but I'm pretty sure that JFK had 303 electoral votes and then Nixon in 68 uh, during the first election has 303 and a close one against Hubert Humphrey and George Wallace. So now we're in different territory here. And it's only a year and a half later, like in August of 74, after Spiro Agnew uh, leaves office due to a scandal, and then um, we get Gerald Ford being selected as president, uh, or as vice president for Nixon during that whole time period, Watergate coming up. And then he's the person who becomes president August 9 of 1974 after all the Watergate things come out, uh, Woodward and Bernstein with the Washington Post, um, the, the committee, uh, it, it turns out Nixon is actually not impeached. The committee that is looking into it, they vote to send it to the House for impeachment. And that's when Barry Goldwater and a couple of Republicans go to White House. Richard Nixon is kind of falling apart. There's this whole thing about Kissinger, his sec secretary of state, and Nixon drinking and so on, wanting to possibly bomb the Viet Cong, uh, the Viet North Vietnamese. And you can hear all about that, uh, these, these tapes that again, Nixon had kept that basically did him in. So again, um, we got the moon void 24 plus of Leo, which is ironically the Uranus position from when JFK uh, uh, had his void moon uh, 12 years earlier. And there's just a whole bunch of other things that are going on in this chart. We've got, um, it's interesting that Mars and Saturn are exactly opposite each other. I mean, talk about something that's incredibly significant. Mars and Saturn are not exactly uh, happy, a happy couple, particularly when they're exactly opposite. Mars is at 14 plus of Sagittarius and uh, up in the eighth, ninth house area. And you'll see Saturn in the second house at 14 plus of Gemini. So that is not helpful at all with this inaugural energy. You'll notice that the, the moon is 150 degrees to both uh, to Mercury and Jupiter up toward the sun in the top of the chart. So that's another one of these inconjuncts of 150 degrees, not a very comfortable relationship of the moon in a royal position. In other words, Nixon is thinking, oh, you know, uh, hey, I've just swept into office in my second term here. I've, su so, you know, successfully so far blocked things from June of 72 with the plumbers having gone into the Democratic National Committee and, you know, getting his his neophytes there, um, the different people working for him in the White House to try and block anything from coming out. But again, it all comes out and he has to resign in disgrace. Uh, another thing is you'll see Uranus in this chart at 23 plus of Lib Libra. Remember I said earlier, in some cases, the inauguration of the void, of course, we don't necessarily see a negative or a challenging, like a square in opposition. What had happened was uh, a couple hours before uh, the void moon occurred, the moon sextiled Uranus. Okay, so you'll see Uranus at 23 of Libra in the sixth house of this chart. So the moon had already made a 60 degree relationship to Uranus, then went void, and then was approaching the 150 degrees to Mercury and Jupiter. Uh, under this uh, Nixon uh, uh, void, of course, moon chart. So I think the Mars opposite Saturn, very significant, exact, uh, just a quarter of a degree. You'll also see Juno again active. Juno keeps showing up because it's empowerment and creating peace and harmony when it's good, but when it's shadowy, there's 
uh, storms in the psychic atmosphere of humanity, of, in this case of the United States. Well, Juno is at eight plus of Sagittarius in the eighth house, conjunct the part of fortune, the circle with the X, which is the U.S. ascendant, and Neptune is there, which on a shadowy level can represent confusion and chaos and nebulosity. So Mars, Juno, part of fortune uh, on the right side of the chart, not very you know comforting energy to have. And of course, there's other positions all over the place that come into play here. All right, so now let's move on to um, Bill Clinton. Okay, so the, the chart that we have for Bill Clinton is, is for January 20th of 1997. Again, it takes place at noon. There's no, it has to be at noon because that's part of the constitution. Even if he takes the oath earlier than noon or after, puts his hand on a Bible, whatever, it's still going to be the noon chart. Now remember, I'm not going to get into this now, but when he becomes pre when Clinton becomes president on January 20th of 1993, he has just won in a three-way race the previous November against George Bush number one, who had a 91% favorable rating uh, during Gulf Storm, okay, the first Gulf War, and defeating Saddam Hussein, uh, the the whole thing of of uh, that whole particular wartime. We just had Colin Powell passing away. He was one of the great heroes at that particular time. Um, this had to do because Saddam Hussein had taken over Kuwait. We weren't going to let that stand. George Bush, number one, was president. That was a, uh, a UN mission. We went in there and Saddam was defeated. Kuwait was freed up. This would eventually led to George Bush Jr. running and starting uh, after 9-1-1 and, and the, we're winding up attacking Saddam Hussein in Iraq rather than dealing really with the true culprits, Saudi Arabia, which we've never dealt with, with 911. At least these are the people supposedly were the hijackers of 911. 17 of 19 were Saudis connected to Assam bin Laden and so on. Well, again, we have so many of these shadowy things going on in our government. So it turns out that when Bill Clinton came into office the first time in a three-way race with uh, Ross Perot taking away a lot of votes. He didn't win any electoral votes, but he took enough votes away from the Republican because Ross Perot was into business that Clinton wins with about 43% of the vote. And I think uh, Bush only had about 32%. This is Bush number one. And then um, the other 30% or 29, 28% of the actual vote went to Ross Perot. But he, you know, so that's a lot of votes that went to Ross Perot. And he was in and out in, in uh, 1992, was appearing on Larry King. He was he was then spoofed on Saturday Night Live, you may remember. So at any rate, um, that all was January 20th of 1993. Okay, so the significance of that is, even though that is not a void moon, Mars was retrograde at 13 plus of Cancer when Bill Clinton became president the first time. And that's the U.S. sun degree, which is also the star Sirius within one degree. The most, the brightest star connected to ancient Egypt, the Nile River, all kinds of ancient astrology and metaphysics and so on, the star Sirius. Um, so at any rate, there is a, you may remember, well, I do, there, it showed a picture when Bill Clinton was a young guy, went to Washington, D.C. He was in the scouts of some kind of scouting organization. And in a black and white film, he and other scouts all were able to shake hands with the president of the United States. And there's a picture of Bill Clinton shaking hands with JFK. So I see that as very significant, partly in my own life when Robert Kennedy was running for senator in New York. I explained this, I think, in the last podcast I did about the, the baseball uh, a World Series of 63 and 64, a tale of, of two World Series, that in the summer of 64, 
Robert Kennedy in Long Island, who was running against Kenneth Keating, a Republican. And at that point, Robert Kennedy was considered kind of like the carpetbagger energy because he was really living in Virginia. He had an office in New York and supposedly he was able to make believe that he was a New York resident. Anyway, he was just can still remember him with the short sleeve, you know, white, white shirt rolled up back of a truck with, you know, horns blaring, you know, vote for Kennedy. And there was a massive crowd and he shook my hand or I shook his hand. I just remember how firm it was to shake for just a split second that I, you know, I, I shook hands with the least favorite Kennedy because I had really, as a young person, admired President Kennedy and Ted Kennedy uh, for whatever reasons. But I didn't feel the same thing about Robert Kennedy, but he was the person who I do believe in retrospect saved us, particularly during the Cuban Missile Crisis the 13 days. He wrote the book, 13 days. It's a Robert Kennedy book reporting about what happened. So anyway, we'll get into that another time. But what I wanted to simply say here is it isn't just important if, if we're going to do some, if I wrote a book on this whole thing, I would be looking at each of these presidents' natal charts. If, if, the, if the void moon was in the second term, I'd still look at the first term when they became president for the first time. And, and Bill Clinton becoming president the first time with Mars retrograde at 13 plus a cancer in the United States sun. What happened was we had the first 911 in the basement of the World Trade Center happened right after in the month after he was inaugurated January 20th of 1993. And we also had Waco that took 50 plus days with Janet Reno as the attorney general with all those people, including women and children being killed in that inferno with the ATF and all of this controversy that happened. And then we wound up uh, with Oklahoma City bombing on April 19 of 1995, um, which changed everything. It was that point that uh, Clinton, who was on the ropes and had in the 1994 midterms, had lost. That's the rise of Newt Gingrich and the Republicans taking control of the Congress after Clinton had become president the first time. Uh, but we have the situation of the Oklahoma City bombing and uh, then that whole event, Clinton, you know, does his whole thing with I feel your pain and so many other things. And then he winds up being reelected, gets, gets about 49% of the vote uh, against Robert Dole. So that was a clear thing. In both elections, though, Clinton got over 300 electoral votes. The electoral vote tally for Clinton twice was, was substantial, even more than, for instance, uh, Trump or Biden with the, the votes that they recently got. So uh, Clinton did very well in the electoral vote sort of tally. But so then we get to 1997 and now we are getting the, the void moon energy. And this becomes really interesting because it's in 1998 that the Monica Lewinsky scandal comes out. It's the Monica Lewinsky scandal and the fact that Bill Clinton gets impeached, even though in the Senate he's not thrown out because there's enough Democratic senators and you got to get two thirds of senators. This is why Trump had two impeachments, but he was never going to be thrown out of the presidency because there was too much of an equal energy in, in, the, in the Senate. That's why Richard Nixon never, what, that, that's why he resigned, because he would have been impeached by the House and the Senate would have taken him out by trial because the senators, even the Republicans, due to the committee that was investigating Nixon, was very balanced. This is where you had the Tennessee Senator um, Baker saying, what did the president know and when did he know it? I mean, that's an extraordinary thing. That was the Republican co-chair of the, the committee investigating 
uh, Richard Nixon before he even they're the ones who said, yeah, we're voting for impeachment. And that's what led Nixon to resign. So he was never impeached by the House and wasn't tried by the Senate uh, to make sure that that disgrace didn't happen. So his disgrace was was the Watergate cover up, you know, continuing all of that. Anyway, now we're in 1997. So the extraordinary thing going on here is, is I just reported that when Bill Clinton became president in 1993, we had the first 911 event, which has an exact time to the second of when a bomb went off, planted by the Islamic revolutionaries, in the basement of the World Trade Center. So that was in 1993, and that was eight and a half years before 911, September 11th of 2001. So it was during the Clinton administration that that happened. There's a lot of things with Osama bin Laden bin Laden and terrorism around the world and things that happened starting in the first administration of Bill Clinton, as well as Waco and Oklahoma City bombing and so many uh, people coming out against the federal government in the United States. Like a lot of what we see now on the right wing of weapons and militarism and so on, what just happened with Kyle Rittenhouse, this goes back even the, the year before in, in Idaho when George Bush was president, we had the Ruby Ridge events. Um, of killings in uh, in my Montana, I believe it is, um, and that shocked the nation again. ATF people, somebody was killed within uh, the feds, and then they killed um, the the wife and the young child of the person they were, were were trying to get for gun possession and so on. So the whole thing of illegal weapons and people who have been going against the federal government, because we've had all of these different uh, groups and so on. Uh, McVeigh and so on, who conducted the Oklahoma City bombing and then was was uh, killed for that, and his partner, they had been in the army and so on, and he had actually gone to Waco and was there uh, before two years later on April 19th of 1995 doing the Oklahoma City bombing. So all of this was in the background uh, of the first Clinton administration, just a tremendous amount of violence coming up, and Mars had been retrograded at 13 plus a cancer, but there was no void moon. So at any rate, Clinton gets reelected in a, in a greater electoral vote. He beats uh, Robert Dole. Uh, and we also still actually have um, Ross Perot running, but again, doesn't get any electoral votes and his popular vote is also much less. So at any rate, um, you get void of course moon and it's a, this is the amazing thing here that I wanted to make sure I covered. And then we just have two more to do and then we'll be done for this particular uh, podcast. The moon is at 28 plus of Gemini, which is where it is now, or within a degree. When I started this, the moon was there, 28 plus of Gemini. And this is where chaos is located in late Gemini. So that's why I brought in chaos, a real planet, 309 year orbit. It's beyond Pluto. It's conjunct Neptune, the United States chart. Right now, when we're having Neptune and Pisces go opposite our Neptune, what's going to happen next year is when Neptune moves away from the third time of opposing our Neptune, it's going to go opposite our chaos. Uh, and we're, that's when we're going to have Pluto come back for the first time ever in the United States birth chart. So we're not done with chaos and confusion and all that. And that's why I wish that planet that was discovered November 19th of 1998 wasn't named chaos. In fact, um, one of the websites, I think it's called Dark Star Astrology, one of the persons who's investigated chaos, she says, I think it's a she, she says, I think of chaos as creativity, not as chaos. So I did want to make sure I mentioned that because this is why a, a planet like Eris, 
The only thing we really know in mythology, when it was discovered in January 2005, and the astronomer says, okay, we're going to call it Eris. Um, Eris was the sister of Mars. And the key thing in mythology was she wasn't invited to the marriage that had to do with, that eventually led to the Trojan War between the Greeks and the Trojans. And she's the one who threw an apple in, in the mythology. And then you have these three goddesses fighting over it. And eventually Aphrodite wins that. And we wind up having um, uh, Paris stealing Helen of Troy. And this is what starts the Trojan War. And Eris is the representation of, okay, you didn't invite me as a goddess and now I'm gonna curse everything and so on. So you have this mythology with Eris. And Eris doesn't necessarily have to mean all those things. Eris is a, re is a real planet, has a 565-year cycle. Should it really be known because of this mythology? Eris is a goddess, sister of Mars. It has to have positive qualities. And that is what's uncomfortable as I see the naming of these planets. Now, the moon, 28 plus of Gemini, where do we then see that again? If you go back to podcast 86, the World Trade Center event, Okay, when the first plane hits the, the towers, 8.47 in the morning, September 11th, 2001, the moon is at 28 plus of Gemini, void, at the same degree where it was at the void moon for Bill Clinton's second inauguration. And that, so again, it's, it's the power of Osama, Osama bin Laden, the power of, of, of Islamic terrorism, which goes back to one month, after, it wasn't even a whole month, but after January 20th of 1993, when Clinton comes in with Mars retrograding on the U U.S. sun in the Sirius position, the star Sirius position in the, in the cosmos, the brightest star in the sky connected to ancient Egypt. We have a situation where the Clinton coming into power, Mars is in a very powerful position again in 2025, because that'll be 32 years after 1993. The next president January 20th, 2025. It won't be a void moon, but we're going to have Mars retrograde again, just like it happened under JFK, just like it happened in 61 and in 1993, okay, which was uh, 22 years later. And then we're going to have from 1993, uh, if I got that, uh, excuse me, uh, well, at any rate, yeah, 32 years, sorry, 32 years later, from 1961 to 1993 is 32 years in the so Mars was retrograde for JFK early in the sign at one plus degrees. Then it goes 13 plus degrees uh, retrograde under Bill Clinton, 1993. Then it will be at 25 degrees of cancer in retrograde on January 20th of, 19, of 2025. All those presidencies are connected through Mars retrograde. Two of them are, uh, one of them is a void moon, the JFK one. But the first Clinton inauguration, there's no void, of course, moon, but it's a Mars retrograde. And that tradition or energy gets carried through in 2025. That's a different vibration, but it's still very, very difficult that Mars being retrograde. Mars is not like Mercury. Okay, Mercury goes retrograde three times a year for three weeks at a time. And I have a whole bunch of issues about why Mars retrograde should not be considered so negative and bad. We don't want to be naming uh, blaming any planet for its retrograde. Same thing with Venus going retrograde for six weeks on December 19th. Yes, it's challenging that Venus will be with Pluto three times. As I said, December 11th, December 25th of this year, twice, and then March 3rd of next year, when Mars, Venus, and Pluto are all together, then Venus and Mars both go simultaneously into Aquarius, and then they're, they're both going to hit the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction 
on that March 5th of 2022. So we got these Venus-Mars energies with Pluto, Venus and Mars coming into a conjunction at the Jupiter-Saturn degree. It's where Pluto eventually is going to move after we get three Pluto returns for the U.S. at 27 plus a Capricorn. Guess where it's going? Zero plus of Aquarius. So that's the other big thing that's going to happen 2023-2024 as we're approaching that 2025 election. That next president in 2025 is going to have a Sun-Pluto conjunction at the beginning of Aquarius when their term starts. Talk about something that has never happened with in these January 20th uh, inaugurations. We have not, never had Pluto in Aquarius. Pluto hasn't been in Aquarius for 250 years since before since the time period between 1776 and 1781. That's when Pluto was in Aquarius. We're going to be repeating that cycle. You see, 2024-2025. So while we have to gear up for Pluto coming back to its own position three times and everything that that means, by the way, in the fall of 2023, Pluto will come back within a quarter degree of that Pluto discovery point. So we really have four Pluto returns, three of them in 2022, then in the fall of 2023, October, November, September, October, November, as we're gearing up for 2024, and then Pluto goes into Aquarius and ignites the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, which is a, is a conjunction that lasts for 20 years. From December of 2020 at the winter solstice, the next Jupiter-Saturn cycle doesn't happen until 2040. And that's why the pandemic happening and Hopefully, brotherhood, sisterhood, Aquarian values, you know, which are more teams, team sports and group activities, you know, global issues close to our heart or philosophy of life. That's the, the more positive thing of beginning a 2000 plus year age of Aquarius. And Jupiter and Saturn just happened to jump in there by by a quarter of a degree where they haven't been since four. I think it's 1405. It's basically 600 years, 600 plus years since Jupiter and Saturn which come together every 20 years, have been in an air sign. And that air sign energy, which is a universal air sign with Aquarius, will continue every 20 years. They'll be together in Libra. Then 20 years later, they'll be in Gemini. Then 20 years later, they'll be in Aquarius again. So for instance, in 2080, we'll have another Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Aquarius. And then and then 60 years after that, there'll be another Jupiter-Saturn-Aquarius. They tend to repeat in the same area of the zodiac every 60 years. But it's in the elemental quality. We just finished... Jupiter-Saturn cycles in Earth, which I've shared before, it's starting in 1841, and then we had the death of the president at that particular point, after just a month in office. William Henry Harrison uh, died of a, of a cold or flu, was in, gave the longest speech ever, and then Tyler took over. We had a Jupiter-Saturn conjunction. And then when Lincoln came into office, Jupiter and Saturn were again together. He died from the first assassination of president, Garfield died 20 years later, another Jupiter-Saturn conjunction on Earth. He was assassinated. McKinley is then assassinated in 1901. We get Teddy Roosevelt, first youngest president ever at 42, even younger than JFK. That's 1901. McKinley's assassinated. Again, Jupiter and Saturn together. Warren Harding comes in, is in president for a couple of years. I think he's poisoned, if I remember correctly. I mean, I, I've done a whole lot of research on all this, and eventually it's a, de it's a Destiny of America series that I've already written a long time ago. It's on an old website. Eventually, I'll get it out there to everybody so they can see the research I did. Uh, so Warren Harding has Jupiter-Saturn when he comes in in 1921. That leads to Coolidge coming in in the mid-1920s. By the way, 
the same year uh, when Coolidge is president, he's a sun sign cancer, which is a sun sign of the United States in the mid-20s. That's when all kinds of hell is going on with in, in Germany uh, with the, the, the inflation gone wild, and we try and sort of bail them out. This is when Hitler has just had his beer hole pu push in 1923 in Munich, and then he goes to prison and then eventually comes out of all that. Hoover becomes president, and then we get the rise of Roosevelt. And Hitler, with their 12-year cycle simultaneously, Grant Louie uh, in Astrology for the Millions goes into the cycles, the, the powerful cycles of Roosevelt and Hitler as mirror images in America and Nazi Germany for their 12-year cycles, even though Hitler thinks he's building a 1,000-year Reich. Uh, and we see how much Roosevelt ages, you know, in the 12 years. It's unbelievable, really, because he, he's in there, he's 51 when he's president, relatively young president, Roosevelt, but he has that polio from when he was 39, like 12 years before. And then he's, when, when, when he dies at 63, I mean, he looks like 20 years older because of, of just the agonies of the presidency and the depression and rise of all these authoritarians and so much that happened in the 1930s, which was horrific around the world. And we're not even bringing up the Japanese, um, what they did in China and Manchuria um, before they attacked us. And uh, Spain with Franco and, and that whole civil war in Spain and what was happening in Stalinist Russia, what was happening with Mao. I mean, the prelude before World War II, when tens of millions of people died and were injured and so many civilians and all around the planet was absolutely horrific. But what was happening in the 1930s was like horrific, okay, and on all scales. It turns out that it, the rise of Hitler actually, he became empowered because of the Wall Street crash. And that's what actually, he was on the ropes politically and electorally, uh, wasn't making much progress. But then when, when, um, the, when the crash happened in New York and rippled around the world, it, it changed a lot of people in Germany to looking at Hitler in a much more favorable light. The, at some point, I'll share more about that, but I've been studying his life, Hitler's life connected to the crowning of Charlemagne in the year 800. There's a chart for the for, for Europe, and Hitler's chart is totally connected to that chart, as well as the German Empire chart of 1870, uh, and so many other things. So the rise of Hitler doesn't come out of nowhere. And it's just, it is very interesting how Hitler's chart and actually uh, Franklin Roosevelt's chart are very connected. And the rise of the Third Reich, which was January 30th of 1933, that happened just, oh, what, five weeks before Roosevelt became president on March 4th of 1933 at the beginning of both of their rises to power. So anyway, it's just here. The reason I paused here is the moon is, is void now, 150 degrees to a void sun. As I'm doing this, the sun is at 29 plus Scorp uh, uh, Scorpio. We have the sun of the JFK murder happening. Tomorrow's the official date, as I said. I've already advised you to read that story. Bill Clinton connects up with JFK in more than one way. He's a scout. He goes to, to Washington, D.C. You can see somewhere, if you go to YouTube or wherever, you'll see this shake, shaking hands between a young Bill Clinton and JFK. Well, what, what, does, what does in, um, in terms of what happens to Bill Clinton? He has the affair with Monica Lewinsky. Just like JFK had all these affairs that we didn't all know about until afterwards for various reasons that were hidden, he decides to have this affair with Monica Lewinsky. Um, and it creates all of this trauma. By the way, when that happens in 1998, 
after this void moon of January 20th, 1997, with moon at 28 plus of Gemini, which again is the moon now in the sky, and it's the moon exactly void at the World Trade Center disaster on September 11, 2001, and it was under Clinton at his first inauguration that the first um, Trade Center bombing occurred in the basement with an exact time that didn't kill nearly as many people, but it set the stage. It was it was the point of focusing. We need to focus on the World Trade Center. We need to focus on Osama bin Laden. We need to focus on terrorism itself. And as I said, Mars was retrograding at that first inauguration of Clinton at 13 plus a cancer. There wasn't a void moon. The moon then becomes void at the second one. Now, notice I'm talking about Mars. At the first inauguration of Clinton, Mars is on the US sun. It's on the Sirius star position, brightest star, very significant in a cosmic astrology, esoteric astrology, notice Mars in this Clinton chart. Four plus of Libra conjunct the north node of the moon at two plus of Libra. Okay, Mars and the node are opposite Saturn. Where did we see that before? Mars opposite Saturn was at the Nixon inauguration uh, when he when when that was void, okay, in, in 1973, 14 years earlier, when he was trying to keep the cover-up going, in his void moon, Nixon had a Mars-Saturn opposition that was exact from 14 plus Gemini to 14 plus Sagittarius. Mars and Saturn are considered the traditional malefics in astrology. Venus and Jupiter are considered the benefics. This isn't always exactly works out that way, but that's, I mean, sometimes Mars and Saturn can get along. They can make sextiles, they can make trines, and they don't have to be combatants. But in this case, we've got Mars at the north node. There's also Haumea, which is a a fertility goddess, uh, one of these outer planets, you'll see the letters H-A-U. Again, these charts are all in with with uh, podcast 86, okay, in case we don't run them again, in the folder on Graper Enterprises with Mark Lerner Astrology Radio, Astroscope, these charts are all in the folder for 86. Saturn is exactly at the south node of the moon when, when uh, Clinton comes in, raises his hand, you know, there's the second oath. And remember, Al Gore becomes vice president again under a void moon, and he's the person who winds up losing uh, to George Bush after the next Jupiter-Saturn conjunction in Taurus takes place in uh, in May of, of 2000, and then Gore lo loses in that 36-day, you know, hanging Chad thing and winds up with the Supreme Court vote which shouldn't have done this at all. They just should have sent it back to Florida and say, you guys deal with it. We're not going to make any pronouncements. And in a five to four conservative ruling, the Supreme Court of the United States basically makes George Bush president, even though he had lost the popular vote by half a million to Al Gore. And as I said earlier, Al Gore uh, didn't even win his home state of Tennessee. By the way, speaking of uh, Al Gore, who's born with the sun in Aries opposite Neptune and Libra, notice that in this chart, the sun is not alone. The sun is with Jupiter. Okay, the sun is coming off a conjunction with Jupiter. Okay, so Bill Clinton has just won an amazing election. He's re-inaugurated. He's been kind of re-empowered with Oklahoma City. It's a couple years since he lost the Congress to Newt Gingrich. And now he's riding high and the sun is conjunct Jupiter and Neptune is up there. There's a Jupiter-Neptune conjunction that's just happened. Neptune is on the United States Pluto which is 27 plus of uh, Capricorn. Neptune is in that spot. And the sun is also approaching Uranus. There's Vesta up there in Aquarius. There's also Ceres, the largest asteroid uh, up there. So Clinton comes in, which is extraordinary. And if you can only 
you know, not have an affair with Monica Lewinsky. Uh, if, if he doesn't go overboard here, just like JFK did, but the, the truth didn't come out about JFK till later. When you look at this chart, it's Ceres conjunct Neptune, conjunct Jupiter, conjunct the Sun, conjunct Uranus, conjunct Vesta. And Venus is also elevated up there, 13 of Capricorn, trying the ascendant. But again, Sedna, we've seen Sedna before for Roosevelt. We saw it with JFK. Rising or in and around the first house, Sedna, with 11,400-year orbit, has there's amazingly positive things about Sedna as a goddess energy of the, of the ocean depths. But it also is very connected to the coldness, the cold energies at the, at the bottom of the ocean. And the the connection between Sedna as a goddess and her father. You can read about the mythology. It's from Inuit mythology. And I've shared a lot about this before in podcasts and my global hotspots and so on. So again, Sedna is exactly rising. Uh, 13 plus a Taurus. Again, it wasn't it wasn't discovered, you see, until 2003. So the Roseville inauguration, these other inaugurations, so Sedna rising, now we get it again, exact. And then Venus is trying that Sedna. Now think about the affair with a young girl, Monica Lewinsky, that creates this whole scandal uh, in the country and so on. And the president lies about it. Remember the whole thing? It depends on what the meaning of is, is, you know, during when he's he, he finally has to go in front of a grand jury and so on. So he becomes impeached, but he it doesn't leave office. When he leaves office, he sort of regained a lot of his stature. Al Gore is so angry at him that he doesn't allow him to campaign for, for him, which is, uh, regardless of Clinton and his bad <laughs> decisions here, he's, he's kind of the greatest politician of our time as a pure politician. Remember uh, uh, Obama on the ropes in 2012 against Mitt Romney during the convention, he has Bill Clinton come in there and, and be, you know, like give a talk about why Obama should be reelected. And then Obama luckily does beat Mitt Romney. Mitt Romney in the United election thinks he's going to become president, but he loses fairly substantially to Obama. And part of the reason is that Bill Clinton, uh, Bill Clinton, um, Obama understood Bill Clinton has amazing gifts as a communicator. Uh, and he winds up turning the tie for Obama. Hillary, who's so angry, going all the way back to the Bill Clinton, Monica Winsky, uh affair days, winds up also not using the skills of, of Bill Clinton, and she loses um, those three critical states of Michigan, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, which Biden wins back. And she loses the presidency, partly because, and I think the same thing happened with Gore, who chose Joe Lieberman uh, as his running mate, a Jewish running mate, which didn't was not going to go over really big uh, in, in the United States. And Joe Lieberman was one of the first senators to come out against Bill Clinton, and Gore basically wasn't even on speaking terms with Bill Clinton because Bill Clinton lied to him about the Monica Lewinsky affair. So otherwise, we would have had Gore for eight years, and Hillary, had she utilized the skills of, of her husband, of Bill Clinton, probably would have been able to at least have a better fight. Maybe she was always destined you know, to be defeated by Trump and not to become president anyway, but she chose not to use Bill Clinton and his skills. So here we have a kind of really weird situation. Definitely, this is the kind of thing of be careful what you wish for. And also part of the Jupiterian energy, Jupiter, king of the gods, Jupiter being so strong in terms of um, good fortune, providence, benevolence, is don't overdo a good thing. Okay, so he wins the second term over Bob Dole. He has a greater percentage of the vote. The Newt Gingrich, you know, kind of midterm disaster of 1994 is, is passed. 
uh, Clinton has restored some of his credibility by being, you know, again, I feel your pain with the Oklahoma City bombing uh, event where he sort of comes into more of his own. And he, again, there are some good things economically that happened during the Clinton Gore years. We actually have a surplus and things like that. But you look at this chart, unbelievably powerful, very, very significant across the board. And um, again, we have other things like Pallas, Athena, the diamond with the cross conjunct Mercury, five and six of Capricorn. That's exactly opposite the United States. Jupiter, we see Varuna again. We've mentioned Varuna before at four plus of Cancer, where the moon is approaching, the, the void moon in this Clinton inaugural void, of course, moon chart. And Varuna, this uh, planet beyond Pluto, at four plus of Cancer, that's the United States uh, Venus-Jupiter conjunction right in between the two of them. So there are these polarities there. And, and that Mercury Palace opposite Varuna are squaring the Mars-Saturn opposition with the nodes. So there's a grand cross in this chart as well. Okay, a lot more that we could talk about with that. But then we move forward to Barack Obama and uh, this whole situation. Uh, Barack Obama having a void moon at 29 plus, um, I, I see we're almost at three hours, so I'm going to have to go here pretty fast. I don't want this to be too much longer than that. It's pretty uh, much of a long, uh, I've done longer, but at any rate, I knew this was going to become a fairly long one. But to make sure I don't, I don't um, disappear here too quickly, January 20th, 2009, um, Barack Obama is actually elected in November um, and defeats John McCain during that election, and he's chosen... Joe Biden. And when they win in early November of 2008, Saturn is opposite Uranus and they wind up going opposite each other several times. So that's election day. By the time we get to the inauguration, one of the, th one of the reasons why Barack Obama wins up twice is that he's born in 1961 in August during the, the time of the Berlin uh, Wall being built under the JFK administration. But Barack Obama, actually, when he turns 20, uh, Reagan is president, and he kind of looks at Reagan, the so-called great communicator, as a model for himself. He doesn't sort of think about himself as a Kennedy person, even though he's a baby and he's born in 61 when JFK is president. But one of the advantages that um, Barack Obama had, which is similar to Ronald Reagan having Jupiter and Scorpio, when Ronald Reagan ran one governor twice in California before he ever became president, when he won twice over Jimmy Carter and Walter Mondale, uh, Ronald Reagan has Jupiter and Scorpio. So at election time, when the sun is in Scorpio, is going over Jupiter four times, twice as governor and twice as president for Ronald Reagan. What did Barack Obama have? Jupiter at zero Aquarius. So it uh, turns out um, Barack Obama born in the 61 time period is Jupiter and Saturn in uh, late Capricorn, early Aquarius. So when, when presidents are inaugurated on January 20th, that's going to be the sun on top of Jupiter in Barack Obama's chart. So he always had that as a sort of ace in the hole. That's why he also wins over Mitt Romney, that even though there's a void of course moon, you'll see the void of course moon in this chart for January 20th, 2009, in the seventh house of partnerships and relationships, 2948 Scorpio, 29 degrees, 48 minutes of Scorpio. That is almost exactly the sun degree today which is also the sun degree, which is void, a void sun when President Kennedy is murdered. So what's extraordinary here is Obama is born at the time of the Berlin Wall in 1961 during the Kennedy administration. And when he becomes president, 
and he's 47, 40, uh, 47 years old, um, he's experiencing a Jupiter return because Jupiter comes back approximately every 12 years. By the time Jupiter comes around for the fourth time, it generally happens when you're 47, then 48 or 47 plus. So Barack Obama was born in 1961, okay, in the summer, in early August, and he turns 47 um, in the summer of 19, of 2008. And then on the day of his election, Saturn is opposite Uranus, okay? And in Barack Obama's own chart, Saturn and Uranus, I believe they're in conjunct 150 degrees apart, another one of those uh, five sign apart energies. But his Jupiter is zero of Aquarius. So you'll see in this chart, even though the moon is void, the sun is conjunct Mercury and Jupiter, and Juno is back up there again. Juno is either empowerment uh, in relationship and peace and harmony, or the shadow side is you get all kinds of uh, storms. So Juno, 29 plus a Capricorn, Mercury, sun plus uh, zero plus of Aquarius, sun, zero plus Aquarius, Jupiter, three plus of Aquarius. You also get the North Node up there. You get Chiron at 19 Aquarius. By the way, the Chiron position is the rising degree when, when JFK is assassinated. You get Neptune up there at 23 Aquarius. Uh, there's all kinds of amazing <laughs> configurations going on here. Saturn, 21 plus of Virgo. What is set? Look down in the fifth house. That's, the, that's squaring the United States Mars. That's uh, conjunct the United States Neptune and uh, uh, chaos positions. So um, there is a very, I mean, the void moon is extreme. Um, one of the connections, which we'll see in a moment, is that uh, with Biden getting inaugurated president, remember he's vice president when there's a void moon with Barack Obama. And they redid the inauguration the next day, as you may remember, because the Supreme Court Chief Justice wound up reversing, instead of saying uh, Barack Hussein Obama, he says like Hussein Barack Obama, and there's a little bit of like smiles there. And because of that, and one other little bauble, even though Barack Obama's hands-on Bible, and again, the Constitution is saying he's president, has nothing to do with the Bible or the exact minute of the oath. They redo it the next day, okay, which created controversy. Why are they redoing it? They didn't have all the flashbulbs and active photography. They had a still photographer from, I think, one network. It's either ABC or CBS. Just like, oh, we redid it in case anybody is confused. We took the oath again. That is another indication of the power of void moon. He's already president. He's already president based on the Constitution. The fact that he was elected and won, you know, and after January of, of, of 2009, when the Congress says, yes, all the votes were counted and Barack Obama defeated John McCain by a substantial number of electoral votes. Now, notice, again, we've got a Sedna near the ascendant in this chart. There's all kinds of other things going on. Venus is conjunct Uranus, which is also um, 17 and 19 degrees of Pisces. There's a sextile of them to, to Mars. There are positive things going on here, but the moon is clearly void and in a, in a very dangerous void, as it will turn out when Joe Biden becomes president on January 20th of 2021, the moon is void. You look in that chart, 29 plus of Aries in the 12th house. That's the same void, uh, that's the same moon position. And then see Mars right after that, that Abraham Lincoln had in his second inaugural, even though that was not necessarily a void moon uh, with on March 4th of, of 1865. That was a quarter moon going on there. This is a quarter moon. For uh, I'm jumping here now to, um, 
to the one that happened this year, January 20th. Remember, 14 days earlier was the insurrection. And at that point, what was amazing was on January 6th, Mars was at 29 plus of Aries, the same position of this void moon for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, 29 plus of Aries. And two years before, Mars and Uranus, their last conjunction was a 29 plus of Aries. And on the day that Joe Biden took the oath, Mars is conjuncting Uranus. You'll see that there in the 12th house at six plus of Taurus. Talk about the controversies that have happened this year. What happened with leaving Afghanistan, where the president, uh, President Biden is talking a lot about, hey, we can all gather together during July 4th and holidays and not realizing, wait a minute, there's a Delta variant going out there. There's a lot of confusion that's happened in this year, and part of it is due, again, to the void moon, and that when he became vice president, there was an extreme void moon back in 2009. So uh, this is not a question of, like, I think Joe Biden, as a person, his heart is in the right place. I have questions about him running again because of how old he's going to be. Notice there's a, there's a conjunction of Ceres and Neptune at 18 plus of Pisces in this chart. We often find a lot of uh, Venus and Uranus were conjunct in Pisces at the same area when Biden became vice president, and it was January 20th of 2009, when the first void moon energy happened at the first uh, uh, Obama administration and, and, and uh, vice president uh, Biden, or Biden became vice president, Venus was conjunct Uranus at 18, 17, 19 of Pisces. Now Ceres and Neptune are in the same exact spot, okay? So now we get other things going on. Notice that as opposed to uh, the 2009 Sun conjunct Jupiter energy, all right, that, and remembering that uh, Barack Obama is born with Jupiter at zero of Aquarius, so he sort of had the ace up, up his sleeve, so that at both inaugurations, even though there was a void moon at the first one for Barack Obama, the sun is going to be on his Jupiter at both inaugurations. And the sun was with Jupiter at, at the one, the first one. So Obama goes through his eight years, even though there's a void moon, a lot of what Trump does when he gets into power is to overturn the stuff that happened under Obama during the void moon. So we see all these conservative things and all these things about the environment being overturned from the first day that Trump comes into power, which has to do with their rivalry between Trump and Obama. And now we see that the sun is conjunct Saturn, as well as there's a little, uh, the, the partner to Chiron is called Shariklo. You'll see CHA in the chart for the inauguration this year on January 20th, 2021. So not only is there a, a void moon of 29 of Aries, which is where Mars was on the day of the insurrection, which is the previous Mars-Uranus explosive conjunction that happened in February of, of 2019, and Mars conjuncts Uranus in the afternoon after this inauguration. Then we've got this Mars-Uranus conjunction tinderbox. We've got the issues with China, with Taiwan. We've got the issues going on with Russia and Ukraine. Uh, among other issues around the world, all of this stuff with the ports and the blockages of you know what's happening with products arriving from China, all these other issues with the with the pandemic and things becoming out of uh, out of sorts here, pandemic becoming more extreme in Europe these days, the Delta variant and other variants. We don't know what's going to happen with Thanksgiving and with Christmas and the turn into the new year. Of course, all the things I've been sharing about Neptune opposing our own Neptune, the U.S. chart approaching Pluto returns and everything else I've been sharing here, we don't find, to me, unfortunately, there's not a lot of encouragement from this chart. Again, Saturn and Jupiter are close in this chart because remember, they had just come into a conjunction at zero plus of Aquarius during December 
of just a month before this, uh, almost exactly a month before this, Jupiter and Saturn were together. And now Saturn's only moved a couple of degrees. The sun is on that Jupiter-Saturn conjunction when, when Biden takes the oath. The moon is void. And this void moon at 29 Aries is 150 degrees to the void moon when he became vice president in 2009 when it was at 29 of Scorpio. So we've got battling void moons here. They're not only... Not only do we have a void moon, which creates uncertainty for the inauguration, but the two times that, that Biden has become vice president and president, the moons are both void and there are exactly 150 from one another. And to have Mars conjunct Uranus, um, a dangerous kind of thing going on. There's also Eris at 23 of Aries is in a pretty close square to Pluto at 24 Capricorn. This little center body called Shariklo, uh, which has a lot to do, like Chiron, with healing and woundedness and things like that and psychic sensitivity, is conjunct the sun here. Uh, we know that Joe Biden lost his first wife and his daughter in a car crash when he was turning 29, and his son uh, died um, from a, a, a brain, uh, from cancer in the brain, uh, after serving uh, in, in uh, Afghanistan. So we have... Uh, Joe Biden being very familiar with, with a lot of grief energy in his life. So we see Sun conjunct Shariklo and the Sun in between Shariklo and Saturn. The woundedness, this thing of, of being the oldest president, Saturn has a lot to do with um, older individuals and so on. It's a very powerful chart, but not a very easy chart. Um, again, we do get Venus trying the ascendant. Venus is at 15 of Capricorn. And so there are things that are changing, you know, for the good. We also see Juno now at 10 plus a Sagittarius in the seventh house. But th this is connected up to the first uh, nuclear chain reaction of December 2nd um, uh, of 1942. And Joe Biden is born November 20th of 1942. As I've shared before in some of my podcasts, Joe Biden, the oldest president, we've had three presidents. We had um, born in 1946 in the summer, Bill Clinton, born in August of 46, then we had George Bush Jr. in July of 46, and Donald Trump born in June of 46. So we've had uh, 16, 20 years, eight years of Bill Clinton, eight years of Jush, uh, Bush Jr., as I call him, and four years of Trump. 20 years of three presidents who were all born in the summer after World War II. But now, after going from Obama, who was born in 1961, who chose Biden, born in 1942, now we get the oldest person ever to be president, who's born within 10 days of the first nuclear chain reaction. Now we see Juno in this chart, which seems to be very important, whether for empowerment or disempowerment, in terms of what goes on in these inaugural events and in these presidencies and vice presidencies, the Juno is right on the sun for the first nuclear chain reaction from December 2nd of 1942 by Enrico Fermi in Chicago. And I'm more connected and I've done more research on astrology and nuclear energy. So I am very concerned that we have a president with a void moon uh, and all these other reasons, Mars conjunct Uranus. Uh, by the way, Vesta is stationary in this chart in the fifth house of 21 Virgo 23. Within one minute of arc, Vesta, which has a lot to do with safety and security uh, on many levels, is square the United States Mars at 21 plus a Gemini within one minute of arc. That's another big thing happening at this time. So the Juno position in Sagittarius, the Vesta position stationary, the Mars conjunct Uranus in this chart. Again, Sedna is in the first house, moving very slowly. The Sun is squeezed between Shariklo and Saturn. 
We've got Jupiter and Saturn at the top. The fact that we're having this build back better and this changes with infrastructure is because Jupiter and Saturn are up there with the sun. And there are other good things, you know, Mercury and uh, Pallas are in a conjunction, Ceres conjunct Neptune. There are a number of favorable things in the chart, including Venus trying the ascendant. But because of the void moon, we've got a lot of issues and a lot of problems. And I'll, I'll keep reporting about all this as time goes on. So that's the end of part two here. Um, it's print. It's three plus hours. Um, didn't want it to be this long, but nevertheless, um, able to do it. It's. I don't think it's the longest one ever. I think one of the coronavirus and astrology ones that you can go back on. Again, I recommend please go to our astrology shop where you'll see all kinds of things. As I mentioned earlier, there's a Black um, Friday and specials tab on the front page of Great Bear Enterprises with an S, www.greatbearenterprises.com. If you've listened this far, um, these Black Friday events uh, are already happening now. You don't have to wait until Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. So there are discounts, there are specials. We've got these e-gift card um, things you can do if you don't know exactly what kind of reports or consultations you want to gift yourself or family member or somebody, you can take advantage of that. It's a little tab in the upper right-hand corner. Again, our complimentary area is global hotspots about new moons and full moons and eclipses. To read more about the, the partial lunar eclipse that just happened, um, there's going to be a total solar eclipse, which is going through Antarctica. Uh, on December 3rd and 4th. And again, that's very, very close to the first nuclear chain reaction events of December 2nd, 1942. And we're seeing a lot of worries and stress about nuclear weapons around the planet. Iran, again, uh, with the, the whole thing of the agreement being taken away under the Trump administration, and uh, whether we can trust them or not. Israel, of course, is always uh, concerned, even though they're a nuclear power and they've never admitted it, about what is happening with Iran and they're gaining uh, uranium enrichment and, and things going on there. And then we've got Kim Jong-un and his health and everything else with North Korea and nuclear weapons there. Of course, the, the Russians have all thousands of nuclear weapons, so do we. And we keep pushing the nuclear button in different ways with new technology and things like that. And there's always the uncertainty with Russia. And then we've got is, uh, India and Pakistan, who are nuclear powers. Of course, the United Kingdom and France. So all of these nuclear issues are coming up. And it's it's a concern for me because I've studied this more than any other. Uh, it has to do with the fact that when I'm born, the moon is in Sagittarius. And uh, it's exactly where the sun is having to do with December 2nd, 1942, and the first nuclear-controlled reaction. I did do a whole podcast where I read from Welcome Planet Earth from the Taurus edition. This is before we were even a newspaper or magazine back in the early days of Welcome Planet Earth um, on Earth astrology and what we call mundane or, or global astrology. Uh, and when we were stapled together in the newsletter, I'd done all this re research about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and uh, the Manhattan Project and development of the Trinity, the first bomb, and the bombing of Hiroshima and Nagasaki, and connected to Harry Truman and his chart and so many other things, plutonium, uranium. So uh, you may want to listen to part of that that I did only a couple of months ago uh, when I was talking about what was happening with a summit in uh, that was happening in Geneva. It's in that particular podcast that I read that whole story from 1982, the astrology of atomic energy. So I am very concerned about that with President Biden born within 10 days of, or 12 days 
of the first nuclear chain reaction. And uh, he's president of the United States and he's, he's president with Kamala Harris during a void moon that's very intense uh, of what was happening at that time. So we will keep looking at this as we go forward. Um, again, we also have three-in-one reports and uh, we have two kinds. So they're in the astrology report area where we have 15 different kinds of reports about your chart, your cycles and so on. And each one has a Skylog, one of the best uh, reports, runs for a whole year, uh, focuses on not only your transits, but on your secondary progressions. And it's designed by Stephen Forrest, one of the great astrologers and who also uh, wrote for Welcome to Planet Earth back in the 1980s, and he designed Skylog. So that's on transits and progressions. And if you order these reports, they come within 48 hours, they're attached to emails, and we have 15 different kinds. So one of them is a Sky Within, natal report and the Skylog for a year, both designed by Stephen Forrest about your birth chart and the time of your birth and the place of your birth. And it includes also an advanced numerology report based on your full name at birth and uh, where you were born. So there's a three-in-one special that's heavily discounted to $89.99. And it's great for getting ready for 2022. There's another one that has just for women, a report about uh, particularly for women from a feminist perspective on your natal chart, and that includes also a four asteroids and Chiron report. So we do have a report that goes over where Ceres, Pallas, Athena, Juno, and Vesta are at your birth and Chiron, and their archetypes, their zodiacal positions, their house positions, and their aspects. And that's a report as well. It's part of this three-in-one package. We've got plenty of astrology reports uh, that are on sale and for specials. Uh, these e-gift cards that are available, again, in the uh, Black Friday and Specials tab at the top of our website at www.greatbearenterprise.com. Also, our classes are lower, the 36 one-hour classes that I started in 1985 that were originally on cassette tape, then on CDs. Now they're on MP3 files that my daughter designed. So there's 36 one-hour lessons. There's lesson notes and charts, 36 one-hour lessons to learn astrology right now, and it won't stay that long. It's normally $299, and that's discounted from what we had years ago. It was over $700 when they were cassette tapes and CDs, and now it's at $189. You want to learn astrology, 36 one-hour lessons, and you can do it through the online method and listen on these MP3 finals, uh, files on headphones and hear all about that. Listen as many times as you want, learn astrology, uh, beginner, intermediate, advanced, and then uh, 36 lesson notes and charts. Learn an incredible amount from some of the great teachers I've had, Dane Rudyard, Eleanor Bach, Dr. Mark Edmund Jones, Charles Carter, Charles Jane, and, uh, Angeline Adams. So many great astrologers that I learned from are in those classes. It's called the School of Planetary Studies. So that's a special for 189 right now. So. I don't like doing advertising, but we're at the end of this particular one. Uh, I've, always, I've never liked advertising and marketing with Welcome to Planet Earth, but I, I like to be able to sort of promote different organizations like Lucis Trust, Findhorn. We do have certain places that we, uh, we have on the website. Uh, it's somewhere on our website to the top. Um, if you go into some of the about areas and learn more about star language, there's actually the chart for President Kennedy something called star language, if you're more a beginner, just to get a, uh, an inkling of how um, astrology works, it's called star language. So that's in the top area where there are these special features that you can open up, as well as global hotspots 
uh, Earth Aquarius news of these articles like the Kennedy uh, story, The Wound That Never Heals, America's Training Point of the 20th Century. So there's a lot of freebies on there, as well as things that you can order. Uh, plus, of course, the consultations that I've been doing for 48 years. Seven different kinds, uh, depends on how long you want the session. There's 45 minute sessions, there's one hour, hour and a half, there's compatibility, there's solar return, many others. So if you'd like to do that, get a personal telephone consultation, then we can do that as well. So uh, happy holidays, happy Thanksgiving. I will come back with doing a part three on this sometime in the near future, but I also have other podcasts I'm planning to do. Thank you very much for listening to three plus hours here. I really appreciate it. And uh, don't forget the Astrology Cosmic Calendar. If you're not signed up, it's free one day at a time as an app for, for your iPhone or Android phone. But by subscription, literally pennies a day. And then you can go two, three to four weeks into the future to become your own astrologer at times and learn astrology and see the future ahead of time. The Astrology Cosmic Calendar with a K. So don't forget, you know, for your iPhone or Android phone, I've been doing this 40 plus years and it's What's going on in the heavens every day? New moons, full moons, quarter moons, the asteroids, Chiron, the trines of Moonus, Moon and Venus, Jupiter, all the different planets in a user-friendly format every day. So, you know, you, you definitely want to keep, you, you know, tabs on what's happening because we're all, each of our charts, as I've said, we're all cosmic calendars born in a certain moment of time in a certain place. And if we forget to study what's happening in the heavens each day, even though that may not be our personal transits or our personal progressions, it is the state of affairs of what's happening in the sky. And you'll miss out on at least half of the significant alignments uh, that are going on that affect you. Uh, if you're born during a moon trine Venus, that happens 26 times in a year when, when the moon is waning and waxing, just as an example. So, so many of the lunar alignments we all have in our charts, trines, squares, sextiles, conjunctions, they're happening 26 times in the course of a year. Uh, and if you don't follow the cosmic calendar, you're going to miss those resonances and those cycles. It's not necessarily a transit to your own chart. It's not a progression to your own chart. But if you have something going on in your own chart and it's happening in the sky, you feel it. And if you don't know that it's happening because you're not tuning into the cosmic calendar, then you miss all of that. So this is why you want to get into the classes. You want to get your reports. You want to get a reading done, whatever it is that you want to do and get, use the complimentary features and learn as much astrology as possible. Okay, well, thanks again for listening. Take good care, everybody. We'll be back the next time. Bye for now. Mm -hmm.